What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Recorded live. So we find ourselves working our way through conference previews, and here we are at Conference USA, CUSA, one of those um, sort of Frankenstein conferences. Um, It's sort of cobbled together you know, from several different pieces and parts and whatever's of various other former conferences. But here we have it. You know, Conference USA is often underrated, but there's a lot of talent that comes out of there. There's been some guys who've gone in the first, sometimes even early in the first round, who've come out of Conference USA. So when we take a look at the conference, there's not like there's some traditional powerhouse that we know this year, next year, every year, you know, is going to be the the monster conference. It's not one of those kinds of conferences where you always know who's going to be the the giant monster. Oh, and I see I – hello there. Uh, my co-host, Mr. James Coburn. How are you doing, sir? Uh, pretty good. Excellent. Um, conference USA – of sort of saying, I mean, it doesn't have tradition in the same sense that some conferences does. It's a relatively new-ish conference, I guess you could say. Um, you can't, you know, talk about some great run of success like Bud Wilkinson or uh, Barry Switzer had at Oklahoma or you know, Tom Osborne at Nebraska or, you know, Coach McKay at USC or you know, Shim Beckler and, and, uh, well, yeah, it's a, it's Hayes. a refugee, the refugee conference. Yes, yeah, so that's, so, that's the term you use, right? Refugee conference. Yes, well put, you know, refugee. Um, it's a bunch of teams that left other conferences and now they're here. You know, yes. um, I think a few, there might be a couple that have been in there for a while, but a lot of these teams were not traditionally. Conference USA, and like UAV doesn't have a football program anymore. At least they're working on it, but they're working on it. Right. No, no dice right now. Yes. Um, so yeah, they're they're supposed to be coming back next year. Supposedly there's been some big donors and you know other things, commitments made, and you know blah blah blah. And I do hope. Uh, they have a football program again sooner rather than later. I would like to see that happen. Uh, hey, we all would, you know. We had to rescue the spotted owl, you know. <laughs> yes, exactly. Everybody loves <laughs> spotted owl, or the or the uh, San Diego beach mouse. <laughs> uh, 
I love the way you describe the conference, though. So we're, we're saving the spotted owl, and it's a refugee. So it's a not only just a refugee; it's a it's a it's like a preserve. It's like a, a an endangered species preserve and a refugee. Exactly, conference. exactly. It's like Jurassic <laughs> Park, but without all the dinosaurs. Cool stuff, you know. You know like, like, they don't have velociraptors and stuff like that. They just have a bunch of little, you know, like dodos. You know, it's a dodo preserve. Uh, a fat, a fat little flightless bird, you know. <laughs> yes, that little flightless bird. Oh gosh. Yes. Well, <laughs> the the conference, whatever how you describe it, uh, has had a certain amount of success in terms of the draft. Um, Maybe not thought of, like I said, as like a huge, you know, traditional power. Like I said, it's not one of those places where, you know, you're going to see a lot of attention paid or as much attention paid as to a lot of other conferences. But, you know, from the Montori pose to the I'm trying to think of the really early draft guys, guys who drafted really early out of the uh, uh, Dewan Smith. There you go. Right. Right. Yeah, so they've been, you know, some guys who uh, have found their way into, not into the league, but into the first round and sometimes even early in the first round. Yeah, if they do the right um, things. Yeah. Sure. It's a lot, it's a lot like, it's kind of like the Mac, sort of, but not really. I would say, if anything, we managed to get even less respect nationally than the MAC does. The MAC, thanks to things like Maction and Thursday Night Football and whatever, has sort of established itself a little national following. I mean, I, I think people, even though it doesn't get maybe the little respect it deserves, people, people talk about the MAC as an underrated conference. Like, hey, the MAC's always underrated conference. You know, and so it's sort of the, the underrated conference everybody recognizes to some extent. Sure, but I mean it's it's sort of, I, but that's because of the publicity, obviously. I mean, you know, Maction, right? You can't yes. have yes. Conference USA. Yeah, Conference USA doesn't have its own hashtag. I guess is what we're saying here. Can't really, There's no... can't really do much with it, you know. <laughs> that's um, the other problem. It's ungainly. Now they used to have other. That's the funny thing too. Is they used to have. Other teams, like, you know, they always bring up Brett Favre and they talk about Conference USA. And they usually yep. go, yeah, but that was a long time ago. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yes, um, it was. <laughs> yeah. Or even Randy Moss. And I think when I saw the Randy Moss, was that was technically the match. They were not. No, what, it, well, it was one double A at first when he first right. got there. And by the time the square ended, yes, they were in the MAC. They were not in Conference USA. Conference USA may try to now. They may put him in their ass now if they feel like it or what to, but that's, it doesn't change the fact that he never played a single Conference USA game in his collegiate exactly. career. Exactly. So, nor did Chad Pennington, nor did Leftwich even. They didn't make the move out of the MAC until about nine, maybe ten years ago. Um, but, yeah, yeah. Um, a lot of the sort of sexiest things that have happened in, in Conference USA history happened for these teams before they were in Conference USA. 
not in every single case, but in several of the cases. So false advertising. <laughs> that's one way of describing it, yeah. I don't know if that's so how they, they have choose. To, so bad they have to lie about what they've actually accomplished. <laughs> that is one way one could describe it, I suppose, yeah. Um, but there are, despite that, even with that being said, there are legitimate professional prospects and some pretty good football teams in the conference. It is a, you know, like I said, sort of Frankenstein or you said refugee. There's lots of not terribly complimentary things that could be used to describe it as a conference. Nonetheless, some pretty good football is played there. Um, I think there's at least a handful of guys who have a chance to go in the first three rounds in the conference, as is often the case. You know, there's a Middle Tennessee, not always a place where scouts flock, but I, I think there's going to be some activity there in terms of guys that are going to be drafted. East Carolina, which is sort of thought of as one of the more – that's right, I'm sorry, they're in the AAC now. God, I get That's the other thing I have to remember. They have some – they're one of the conferences that are affected by all the comings and goings. Exactly, they left. <laughs> they found a new yeah. home. <laughs> that's the other thing is it's not always easy to keep track of it's not always easy to keep track of who's in the conference from one year to the next oh boy good point um, that doesn't help them in terms of national brand identity is that you have to check each season the seasons in the conference from one year to the next oh, but with that being said Still, there's good football that will be played there. Still, there's good players that will be seen there. The, the conference has um, made some noise at various points. They've had they've scared some bigger teams and, you know, things like that. They're, let me see. UTSA is in the conference now, right? I'm trying to who's all in it now. Hold on. Let me think. Um, yeah. <laughs> yes. Uh, okay. University of Texas, San Antonio. Yes, 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 right, right, right. Okay. I think I'm, most I think I'm, notable, the most notable draft pick for them, I believe, is Johnny Lee Higgins. I believe you probably are correct. <laughs> you, who the school's called the Roadrunners, which in his case was, was very apropos. That was a kid who could flat out fly. He was never a tremendous all-around football player, but I'm telling you, man, Johnny Lee Higgins is one of the fastest dudes I've seen on a football field. He could, he could, could scoot. Um, but yeah, the conference as it is currently composed, um, like I said, it's sort of uh, awkward-ish from a, from a um, uh, the way it's the way it's put together, the way it's constructed. Uh, it's got pieces and parts sort of spread all across the the land. But like I said, it's got some good teams, some interesting teams. Um, and of course, you know, we can't talk enough Jeff Driscoll. That's where he's eventually come to rest. Uh, Brandon Dotty, who is a better quarterback, but probably not as well known, still uh, flies his craft there in the conference. Uh, Devontae Allen, who is an interesting guy at Marshall, is still there. Carlos Harris in North Texas. Um, Jaquez Johnson is, you know, I mean, he's probably going to have to be a position switch kind of guy, but he's an interesting something. Uh, over at Florida Atlantic. One of the guys I really like at running back in this upcoming draft is um, uh, Kenneth Dixon, 
sort of a, a another sort of underrated guy at Louisiana Tech. Um, oh, uh, who else is it? Oh, Kevin Bayard, right at Middle Tennessee State is interesting. Um, Tiki Barber, not Tiki, but Tiki Barber at uh, Middle Tennessee State is another interesting guy. Um, who else is worth mentioning? Well, let's just go through the, the conference. So in the East Division, which includes Western Kentucky, Marshall, Middle Tennessee, Old Dominion, which was, you know, fairly recently came up from uh, the old, uh, from the F, from the old, it wasn't before in the CAA and it was in the um, F, um, uh, CS level, now is playing FBS football in the conference. Florida National, Florida Atlantic, and Charlotte, which is, I think, the newest addition, <laughs> I believe, to the conference. Um, and then on the west side, you have Louisiana Tech. Oh, sorry. Uh, you have Louisiana Tech, Rice, UTEP, Southern Miss, North Texas, and, of course, the aforementioned UTSA. So this conference is, to, is in many ways like a mini-version, to some extent, of the Big 12, and that has a lot of it's a super spready conference. I don't think there's a single non-spread offense in the entire conference. In fact, well, yes, I'm sure of it. I'm pretty sure of it. Please. When you don't have quarterbacks, you have to do spready systems, you know, for the most part. Um, yeah, I mean, it's pretty spready. But I, it's just, I don't know, they just kind of adopted it, I guess. Well, one of the easiest things usually to find recruitment-wise is wide receivers because they can be a lot of different kinds of body types. You don't have to all be, you know, it's not like offensive, offensive tackle where you, you know, you can't come to the velvet ropes if you're not, you know, this tall, this high, this wide, things like that. A wide receiver can be 150 pounds, 250 pounds, can be five foot two, can be six foot eight. You know, so you can usually find them. And if you have enough good wide receivers and you said, you know, you can sort of cobble together a quarterback, you can run that kind of offense. Now, to have real effect in this, you probably should have some sort of complementary running game to go with it, uh, which is one of the things that is often discussed. So I guess we'll start with the east side. Or oh, actually, no, I'll just do it alphabetically. Probably that's what I just did. Um, so starting with Charlotte, which is a a program that is, you know, just sort of, you know, welcome to, you know, welcome to the dance, uh, Charlotte. For some reason, they decided they're ready for the big time. I guess it's because they're a fairly large uh, student base, I guess, but. You know, they weren't exactly tearing up the world of FCS. I mean, at least Old Dominion was a threat at the FCS level. Charlotte has done really practically nothing at the FCS level in two years as an independent. But, you know, nonetheless, they're ready for the big time. So I wish them luck. I mean, I don't want to see anybody fail ever, but it just seemed like a sort of odd move to me, you know, after sort of two years piddling along as a FCS independent, now you're going to play I mean, it may not be a murderous row of a conference, but they're better at football than you are, I guess. <laughs> what I'm trying to trying to say. I mean, they have a they have a they have a mountain to climb. 
uh, Charlotte, right. you know, isn't isn't. Been, I mean, when I think about the top programs in the in the FCS level, they couldn't compete with the top ten programs at the FCS level. But here they are. Um, Coach Brad Lambert does bring in some talent. Um, Matt Johnson started much of last year at quarterback till he went down with a knee injury. In those eight games, he passed for uh, over 1,900 yards, had 13 touchdowns and eight interceptions. And Lee McNeil, who replaced him somewhat last year, and they also bring in Brooks Barton, who is a three-star recruit, which at Charlotte is like a five-star recruit. So there might be a little bit of intrigue there. Their, maybe their best player, or perhaps their best player, is their um, slot receiver, Austin Duke. He had a no matter who was playing quarterback, he was super productive last year, James. He had 79 catches for over 1,300, in fact, almost close to 1,400, 1,373 yards, nine touchdowns. And he's, like I said, one of the more interesting players. They also now have um, a Georgia transfer, Uriah LeMay, who is now eligible to compete. And he's a guy that some people have rated as a third or fourth star from uh, Butler High. Uh, Khalif Williams was also a very productive running back, and I think maybe the second best running back of the conference uh, behind my guy Kenny Dixon. But he had, despite the fact their offensive line isn't back killers, he had over 1,400 yards, 20 touchdowns. Now, once again, this is against FCS competition. We'll see how that translates. Um, on defense, they don't have a lot. Probably the best player on the defense, the guy that he missed all of last year, a kid named Devon Johnson who tore his Achilles last season, so we'll have to see how he bounces back. Have you – I mean, obviously, you watch a lot of tapes, and I watch a fair amount. I have seen exactly two UNC Charlotte football games in the last three years. <laughs> I'm not going to pretend otherwise. But I did – that running back did sort of catch my eye um, in one of the games I did see. Um, they did play Appalachian State a couple of years ago. But – Tell me if you have had a chance to check out uh, this team and, you know, what did you think if, you, if you've seen Charlotte football? I have not seen Charlotte football, so. Um, well, that tells you a lot because <laughs> you watch a lot. Not of exactly. <laughs> not exactly a uh, – I mean, I usually – if somebody was like, hey, what, what? Hey, you should check out, you know, it's kind of like your mixtape, right? Hey, check out my mixtape. I'm at, I'm at UT, the University of Texas Southern Baptist uh, University. You're like, all right, all right, all right. But uh, nobody's really hit me up about Charlotte. Um, so, no, I haven't, I haven't seen any any of those guys. Austin Duke, from a metrical standpoint, seems interesting because he made up about 49% of his uh, passing offense, which is real bonkers, no matter where you're playing. So that's a huge um, yes. <laughs> so we'll see if that translates to the big time sort of yeah. thing. Obviously, yeah. I'm gonna but, um, I'm gonna guess that he's still gonna be probably the best player on that team. And of course, you know, we'll, as you said, we'll see how that we'll see what that means when he's playing up against you know the the quote unquote big boys, or in this case, medium sized boys, I guess, but. The medium-sized boys, the dodo, the dodo, the dodo boys. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, I don't. I don't hold it against you. I don't hold it against you not seeing a lot of Charlotte football. There's oh, believe it's me, not, they're know, not easy to if, see. If you, if anybody accuses me of makes fun of me for not watching Charlotte football, I'll I'll come to your house. I'll find you because, and I'll interrogate you about you watching them because there's no tape of Charlotte football. They didn't even play. I don't think they played any out of conference. People either. I don't. They don't play a lot of. They like I said last year they were playing. They played one FBS team last year, mm-hmm. and they played sort of a grab bag of semi-local FCS teams. Um, and so they played play Coastal Carolina, yep. which normally you don't get tape on them unless they play a big team. Uh, yeah, Coastal Carolina is a really good program, though, yep. Charleston Southern. I know they're a good program. Mm-hmm. Yep. James Madison. Mm-hmm. But they, they're another team we usually don't see them unless it's a CAA. CAA but, sort of game. Uh, Charleston Southern. You don't usually mm-hmm. see them unless they are like ESPN and Ocho. Um, yes, the Ocho, right. North Carolina <laughs> Central, you don't usually watch them unless you want to check out the band. So... Well, you know me, I always check out NC Central because, you know, those are my guys. But, yeah, I'm I'm the HBCU guy. I have to check him out. But, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not trying to make fun of him. I'm just saying, you know, he had a pretty good band. You know, so halftime show is pretty good. But, uh, yeah. They do have an excellent band, yes. Excellent band system. That's all I'm trying to say. Good part of it. But, anyway, so, uh, yeah, so most of these teams, if there is tape, it probably doesn't exist because nobody aired on national television. So No, not national. No. <laughs> no. They do have it would be regional. There might be some video. I might have to do some packing skills, but there might be some. But for the most part, no, I've not seen them. And I don't have, have fun finding the tape. So well, yeah. Say. Luckily, I've ingratiated myself to some people around the James Madison program. And so, yeah, every once in a while I get to, but yeah, I mean, it's not easy to find Charlotte Tate, like I said. I mean, a couple of years ago, they played uh, Appalachian State, and I think that was on ESPN. They said the Ocho, but I think it's ESPN 3. But, yeah, it's it's not easy. You've got to really dig. You, know? <laughs> you have to hang around shady areas of the docks, talk to, you know, ask for a one-thumbed Armenian guy and, you know, give him this and that kind of thing. But, um, yes, yes. It is one of the more, I mean, literally, there's loads of Division II programs. You have an easier time finding paper. I know, this Charlotte. is crazy. Why would they Why would they go? I know. What were they thinking? And they got <laughs> their butts handed to them, too, mm-hmm. that year. That's so, what I was saying. Like, Old Dominion, I mean, they they got that 70 burger on them. Was it more than that against North Carolina that one year? And then they went up a division. Um Old Dominion was like, I think North Carolina put like a 70, 70 on them. Yeah. And then they, yeah, and then they transferred up to the yes. conference USA. Yeah. Yep. But the difference is, if at the FCS level, they were a threat. I mean, they were a playoff team. Yeah. Within three, within three years of restarting their program, they were a playoff team. Sure. Um, UNC, Charlotte. I mean, no offense, but they were probably five years from being a threat to contend at the F 
CS. Well, <laughs> you know, that's the only thing I'm pointing at is that they – I wish them all the best. I hope good things happen. But Here's the other thing, too. They're the Charlotte 49ers. Yes, correct. But they're in Charlotte. <laughs> yes, yes, they are. They're in Charlotte, North Carolina, yes. The 49ers were in California. <laughs> unless there's something I'm not – Unless they're talking about 1849, like what happened in no, 1849? No, that was that was eight, that was 1849. You're thinking 1749, actually. That's what you're probably thinking. Of. 1749, right? What happened in 1749 that I don't know about? North probably Carolina. the founding of this, probably the founding of the city. I'm guessing or something like that. I, there is a story behind it. I used to know the story years and years and years ago. Um, unfortunately, my late father is not here to tell me the story again. But yes, there is. There was a significant event in 49 in in North Carolina. It was not a gold rush, though. No, that, you are correct. There was no gold rush in 1849. Then why does this mascot have a pickaxe pick in his hand? That's I thing. know what you're I know what you're saying because still, <laughs> I knew it was going to come up. <laughs> um, yes, you are correct. There was actually, I know I could be wrong. There was, it was a gold rush, though. There was some sort of mineral strike you know, like gypsum or something, but <laughs> Feldspar, the big Feldspar rush that they had in um in forty nine down in Charlotte. There's Feldspar in the Bar Hills. You're telling me there were a footnote, is that what you're telling me? <laughs> something like that, yes. If you must say you must say it that way. <laughs> you dig up, you look at the forty ers you're like in California, blah 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 blah. And oh by the way, in Charlotte, North Carolina, they they found some minerals too. They found some minerals too. Correct. <laughs> it's a me too kind of thing. Yes. <laughs> Look at all that Feldspar. As far as the eye can see. They actually do have gold there. Yes. Huh. Yes. I, I was just kidding. They did find some gold. It wasn't quite like in, you know, Sutter's Mill or whatever, but yes, of course. Have the... <laughs> all right, all right. I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm correct. All right, okay, all right. Respect, respect. Yeah, seventeen pound gold nugget. There we go. And, and Cabarrus, I think that's like down Cabarrus County, North Carolina, seventeen ninety nine. So they did yep. have gold. They did have a gold rush. Yes, you did. It just wasn't. It wasn't one that resulted in a tectonic shift in the. Population in the United States, like I think California did. Like the one in Forty Nine. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So basically, this, is a little this, different. this so basically this this school, which has the Forty Nine as their mascot, is a symbol of everybody leaving Charlotte to go to California. That's what that. <laughs> that's what they're celebrating. Um, I don't think so that's quite like how having, they see it. It's like having a bunch of baggage, you know, like. Like your mascot is somebody waiting to get on an airplane or something like that. Oh. Is that what you're suggesting? That maybe it's. A, huh. I don't think they see it that way. I guess what I'm trying to say. Okay, I don't know. I mean, I'm just saying, change. Uh, I'm not okay. Maybe, maybe don't change your mascot because again, there's, whenever you change your mascot, there's always a lot of fanfare and you know, like no, don't do it, you know, type thing and. I, Bobcat, no, obviously. Mountain Lion, you know. And Swamp Cougar. You know, there you go, Swamp, Swamp Cougar. 
basically just a, a redneck mountain lion is what it is, you know. Um, the fighting swamp cougars. Of, yeah, that. the Charlotte swamp cougars. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Um, I don't know, but anyways. I'm trying to show what franchise was called, in, or Chet Ratchet was called in the um, 80s. I think they were the cougars, actually. Any other yeah. um, big-time big ABA fan, if I'm wrong, correct me. I think Larry Brown may have played for them, in fact. Now I think about it. The old, I think they were called the Cougars. The Kentucky team was the Colonels. The, um, of course, we had the Squires. Um, the Nets right. survived. You know, they made it to the, <laughs> the Chaparrals did not survive. Um Okay, no, right. I, I'll i reminisce about the ABA another time. This is crazy. The, so, <laughs> the North Carolina Gold Rush began in 1805 to 1823. Mm-hmm. In 1849, gold is discovered in California. Right. So that still doesn't make the mascot make sense because <laughs> if you have the 49ers, it should be the 49ers that should be. Uh, a rage. The, from right. The 1805ers. <laughs> right. Exactly. Because the kids love wearing gear that says that. <laughs> That's going to help with the window recruiting battle for again. It's a crazy thing, man. I don't know. I'm going to look into this. I might, I might even, you know, <laughs> call the school up and do some investigation into this. Just train, <laughs> you know. So I'm trying to say that, especially when your gold rush was in 1805. I know. Like, that know. that was when it started. Yes. It was. In 1849 is when they discovered it. So, essentially, your mascot, which is a pickaxe with a hand in it, made me like, oh, they found gold in California. All right, everybody in Carolina, let's go to California. <laughs> that's, that's what that basically means. No more gold in Charlotte, so let's go to California. I will. I, I probably should ask somebody associated with the Department of Public Affairs or the, you know, maybe the SID or something. I'm sure someone could give us a probably pretty good answer of why it is. But you are correct. They did. But then again, as I told you. But then again, though. Yes. This is a team from the FPS level moving up to the big dog. So, should we be surprised that they're a little confused about their mascot situation? I don't know. I'm just the fans are going to have it rough, man. I mean, they're going to go on the road, and people are going to be. I mean, I'm just saying. I'm I'm predicting it right now. There's going to be a lot of fights over a lot of confused faces. So. Hmm. Yeah. But no, I've not seen any tape of uh, of uh, them um, this year. Not a tough, well, tough schedule for them, but not not necessarily tough for any other sort of team. You know, they play Georgia, Georgia State, uh, Presbyterian, Middle Tennessee, Florida Atlantic, Temple, Southern Miss, Marshall, Kentucky, Rice. That's not necessarily a tough schedule, but for them it is. So. 
But um, yeah, yeah. They, I sort of I sort of thought they 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 should have concentrated on trying to get into say the CAA instead of the Conference USA. But here they are; they're here now. And as we mentioned, they have a handful of of pretty decent players. Depth, not surprisingly, is an issue for a team that is very recently playing at this level. And they don't have the world's greatest attendance. I mean, I don't know. It just confuses me a little bit. They're trying to establish, I mean, I understand, they're trying to establish a program, trying to build a program from, well, basically nothing. They had, they've been a pretty good basketball school for years. And there's football talent in the area. I mean, Charlotte features, you know, Independence High School, which is a football factory that just, you know, unloads kids, you know, all over the nation. I mean, obviously all over the ACC, you know, Chris Leak and C.J. Leak, you know, found their way. But the issue for them, one is sort of carving out, like I said, the identity, just sort of, you sort of pointed out, I think correctly, some of the identity issues that surround the program. A little question. Well, they, don't know what, they don't know what they are. That's, <laughs> that's, they, even that have jerseys. they even have people wearing T-shirts saying 49 on them. This is, man. Yeah, but, um, I mean, you know, interesting. I did, I learned something new today. So I'll say that much. I actually learned good. something new today that there is that there's a college program called Charlotte whose mascot is the 49ers. <laughs> and nobody has an issue with it. It's like just <laughs> nobody thinks twice about it. It's just it is what it is. Yes. You're correct, Jim. No one there's no protest. It's like, that he was it's like being in Minnesota and having a mas- not having a dolphin as your mascot or something like that, you know? <laughs> The Minnesota Dolphins. Minnesota Dolphins. <laughs> right? Or the Kansas, the Kansas Hurricane. Right? And then people would be like, well, why aren't you the Kansas Tornadoes? And be like, no, too soon. Well, if someone once had one, maybe a couple of years where they actually had, you know, okay, well. Yeah, I guess it would be hard to even have that happen even once, but I guess the making is that it's more like if you found like a dolphin skeleton and decided to call your team the, the dolphins because you once found a dolphin skeleton or something like that. But I know what you're saying. So getting back to this situation, um, yeah, I mean, Georgia State, Christian, Middle Tennessee, Florida Atlantic, Temple, Pennsylvania, Southern Miss, Marshall. Okay, the UTSA game is on the TBA Fox Network, and CBS Sports is bringing us the simple game. So you got that. And ESPNU, of course, is bringing you the Georgia State game. And you can get some of these others on streaming Charlotte 49ers TV or whatever that that thing is called. Exactly, if you want to devote your time to that. (laughs) And what serious fan would? But here's here's my point. Um... Okay, Presbyterian's a possible victory. UTSA, hmm, 
So I can't find a third win. Yeah, I'm seeing probably two wins here. And one of them is, you know, iffy. So the only game I feel really good about is the Presbyterian game. Hmm. Okay. So you you know. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you tell me. Do you, do you tell me? Tell, tell, tell you what. We don't know anything about it. Again, that's the truth, oh, right. ladies and gentlemen. We don't know anything about this team. They could be killers. Bit, but not, not much. They could be they killers. Do? They could be monsters. But we don't know. We don't even know but, what one of them looks like because they have no photos of their profile. Well. Okay, slow down here. But here's let me say this. They did have one player invited to a training camp. And the first in their program's history this past year when Daniel Blitz was invited to an NFL training camp. So it's progress. And like I said, it is. Jamal Covington's a guy who I think will one day be in an NFL camp. Austin Duke might even be a guy that might even be drafted, maybe. Mm -hmm. Mike. Mike. Oh, 29%. That's pretty good. Right. I'm saying I would draft him. I mean, but, you know, that <laughs> doesn't run up to me. Um, Khalees Phillips is a guy I think could one day be drafted, um, but more likely as a, you know, priority undrafted free agent. But, right. I mean, I think they, I think we could be looking at their first draft pick in their program's Ooh. history, is what I'm, what I'm saying, if, if things work out here for, for Austin Duke. So they're moving on up. They went from – Striking gold in 1849 to their first draft pick in 2016. <laughs> 15. Possibly, yes. Possibly, yes. Um, actually, I think Austin Duke is still a junior. He's a junior. I don't think um, he's declaring early. No, he's um, not declaring early. <laughs> no. Unless, unless he had some – I mean, you have to have stuff happen for that. To have, you know, you'd have to – yeah, the ESPN make some highlight play of highlight plays, and then they loop, run out of loop, you know, and then some scout somewhere goes, "Hey, look at this guy." So yeah, that's not happening. Right. But if he does indeed return next year, of course, probably even if he doesn't return next year, he's going to own yeah the record. Well, no, at, uh, oh yeah, <laughs> he's oh yeah, we'll know more about him too because we'll actually. See him. Just like to see it, yeah. <laughs> okay. So we'll be able to be like, oh, yeah, that guy. We saw him when he was playing and how with it. Yeah. Well, this is a, a watershed year for them. Uh, this will be the first time that they have a chance to be nationally televised, as you noticed. This is the first time they'll have a chance to play in a conference. And like I said, big, big year for them. Um. And like I said, in Duke and Phillips, they have a couple of interesting guys. And Covington is a guy that has started every single game in the history of their football uh, program. So how many guys can say that? That they have started every single game in the history of their team's football program. Hmm. Oh, that's right. They've only been around for like three years. <laughs> I know. <laughs> but it still sounds great. impressive when you say it. That's the kind of thing that you would have... messed up. They've only been around for three years. Their mascot <laughs> doesn't make sense, geographically speaking. No, that's true. And this makes about as much sense as Maryland and the Big Ten. Yes. 
it makes no sense. It's Maryland, the Big Ten, West Virginia. Well, you said the West Virginia thing is the whole hee-haw thing, I guess. But, yes, it is a culture. There's a culture. Again, I understand the whole – I, I understand, like, okay, I understand the West Virginia thing from a mm. time zone perspective. But you have a white guy with a rifle running around <laughs> shooting it in the air. <laughs> I guess that tells you everything you need to know. Right in <laughs> Texas and, and all those other places. But my like point if is, if you drop building... that guy off, if you went to if you went to San Antonio and dropped that guy off, the Alamo, they would hire him on the spot because he really he was, right. He like, fit right in. You're correct. He would fit right in. Uh, but they are establishing traditions. They now have a tradition, so they're um, they have a number forty nine jersey. That is worn at the opener, you know, by the most inspirational or whatever, the, you know, Mr. Charlotte football. And Jamal Covington, last year's opener against Campbell, the Campbell Camels, in case you're wanting to learn more fun facts about mascots in the Carolina uh, area. But he came out in the 49 jersey last year, the uh, inspirational, traditional 49 jersey. But yes. It is obviously, like I said, a lot of these guys are going to own a lot of records. When they leave, you know, whoever's the leading tackler of the past couple of years is going to probably own the record book in terms of that. I, I don't know who the sack leader in the history of the team is. It's probably who, a guy who's probably have about, you know, 11 career sacks, but that's probably whoever that is. That's You're the leader. So a lot is, is happening, <laughs> you know, for them. And they need to take a step forward, not just in football play, guys playing on the field. They need to start getting people to go to their games. That needs to happen. They need to start continue to, you know, they need to start getting some kids to go, you know, football, more football players. Hey, they're actually televised, though. I mean, they're actually televised. That has to help, help. yes. You know, because people want to be seen on TV. Yeah. Yes. That's huge for them. I mean, that's, that's, I cannot overstate how important that is for, for them. Um, and in three years, too, they must have a really good agent. I mean, <laughs> yes. their company has been around for decades, you know, hundreds of years, sure. and they don't even have a deal like that. So, Good point. There you go. There you go. The team Onward and upwards. couldn't do it, the improbable 49ers of North Carolina have done it. Yes, sir. That brings us to Florida Atlantic, the Scrappy Owls, Charlie Partridge, uh, their head coach. Uh, they were competitive last year. They did beat Tulsa, UTSA, in Western Kentucky. They went, uh, unfortunately, 0-7 on the road and got absolutely plastered um, in those games. Not even they lose those games, but they were not really any of those games. So they were one of those teams that was very much you know, in need of home cooking. Whenever they went on the road, they, they looked like a completely different team and, and not a good one. But now they find themselves, well, one is they've got, you know, another another team that they can pretty much chalk up a win against. <laughs> I would say thanks, thanks to Charlotte. But um, Florida Atlantic has some interesting pieces as well. I made reference to Jack West Johnson, who was a, you know, one of the sort of top dual threat guys in the conference who beat out Greg Hankerson, uh, who I thought was going to, I won't say, you know, 
walk into the starting job, but but I I had assumed I had thought that it was his job to lose. I guess I guess he did. I guess what that means. And so and Johnson had a really good year. So it I guess it was the right move or it made sense or what have you. And um like I said, the team was, was pretty inconsistent, but well, no, let me rephrase that. They were consistently much better on the uh, at home than they were on the road. Uh, they graduated their top receivers in uh, Lucky Whitehead and William Dukes, and I believe tight end, yeah, uh, their tight end Uncle Leon is gone as well. So this is a different team, uh, a lot of positions, but they did bring back, like I said, their quarterback. Um, their best offensive lineman is back in um, Mickinson, I guess it's pronounced, Marcel. <laughs> um, interest, another possible member of the all-name team. Uh, they bring back Gene Robinson and uh, Trey Hedrickson and uh, Tavon Coley on their D-line. They have Robert Relf and uh, Another possible member of the all-name team, uh, Robert, not Robert Ralph, but uh, their corner, uh, who's the linebacker, but a cornerback, Cravion LeBlanc, C-R-E accent mark, V-O-N LeBlanc, Cravion, I guess maybe it says rough. But uh, <clears throat> this is a program that uh, takes on Tulsa, Miami, Buffalo, Charlotte, Rice, Marshall, UTEP, FIU, Western Kentucky, Middle Tennessee, Florida, and Old Dominion. And not surprisingly for a team, I guess, located in Boca Raton, they've done a reasonably good job of recruiting. Uh, Charlie Partridge, as I said, is the head coach. They went 3-9 and nine last year. And Brian Wright, COC, also the coordinator. And then they have Rock Bellantoni, a D coordinator, and he's a guy I sort of my eye on as a coach on the rise. I think Coach Bellantoni, uh, whatever happens this year, is is eventually going to find his way to a a bigger, better situation sooner rather than later. So, Sport Atlantic, sir. Uh, obviously, their best known prospect last year was Mr. Dewan Smith. But what what do you think of this program, and who are some of the guys you you have your eye on? Uh. Hmm. Tough, man. Uh, you know, it. I mean, they definitely have secondary guys to kind of pop. I mean, DeJuan Smith obviously was a guy who showed some stuff. Um, they had another cornerback in I'm trying to remember his name. He's starting opposite of him. Huh. Anyways, so I'm, you know, Jacqueline Johnson is okay at quarterback. I think he does an okay job. Um, I'm not too enthusiastic about any of the running backs. Well, well the, the most the most creative runner on the team is probably Dickwood Johnson. Yeah, exactly. Um, who... Might transition to he might, wide receiver yeah. or running back or 
know, definitely not tied in. Something. Yeah, yeah. something. Um, you know, if that were to work out. Uh, Defense-wise, I think he's coming back. Uh, not him. Oh, I think it was Craven LeBlanc. Yeah, was the cornerback. Yeah, uh, he's, he's one of the better returning players. Yes. Yeah, he was. He was one guy that I remember made a couple uh, really good plays in the fall here and there. Um. Huh. So that's about it, really. Uh, I don't. The offensive lineman. I I took a look at a few of the guys there, and I wasn't. They were all kind of stiffish, sort of guys. That weren't really that fast. Um, I think maybe Trey Hendrickson at the end. He might be someone that possibly takes another step this year or doesn't. But uh, I'm not. Um, hmm. I'm not seeing a lot of guys. And even DeJuan Smith, I felt like he was a little over drafted. Anyway. I mean, he went, like, in the third round, I believe. That is correct. Which is pretty high. And he went over Stephen Nelson. So, apparently, somebody thought Kimon Smith, who virtually kind of smaller than Stephen Nelson, was a better quarterback. So... Which I obviously didn't agree with that, but um, I don't know. I mean, the program as a whole, I mean, they've always been solid. Uh, they usually have some undersized guys here and there. They might have a linebacker, but I don't remember any of them <laughs> that really come to mind right now. So, um, or at least that are coming back. So I don't really see a ton of, other than uh, LeBlanc. He's the only guy that I, I could see possibly getting drafted. So yeah, everybody else, probably not. Right. No, I would agree with you. I think that's the only guy that we have about two or three other guys who are possible priority undrafted free agent types. And uh, like I said, I'm in agreement with you. I think LeBlanc is the only guy. I almost say he's a slam dunk either, but you know, he has a better than 50-50 chance of being drafted. Staying within the state and staying within the conference, <clears throat> going up the road a piece, I guess east mostly, I guess really, uh, more than anything else. Uh, moving over to Florida International, which of course is just outside, or maybe it's just inside the city limits in Miami, I think of it. Um, Coach Ron Turner applying his trade there. Yeah, I think it actually is in the city limits, I think, of the city of Miami. After two years, he's 5-19. and 19. He's got Steve Shankweiler and Matt House. Uh, Shankweiler, offensive coordinator, and Matt House is D coordinator. And oddly enough, Ron Turner, of course, is the brother of North Turner. But despite that, you would not know it to look at their team last year. They were not in exactly an aerial circus. In a world of spread offenses and offenses that, 
there wasn't a whole lot of sexy going on in their office last year. Um, what things have you noticed, or maybe what people have you noticed in the Florida International Program? Wow. Wow. Uh, you know, Johnny Smith. There you go. Kind of a HVAC-y guy, I guess you could say. I figured out the height thing, actually. The reason oh, why height, the reason why inline guys are usually taller is because that's just the leverage situation right. Blocking, again. Right? Yeah, exactly. Right, right. So the reason why six foot three, six foot two tight end is labeled as such is because he's going to have a lot easier job blocking on the move versus in line. So right, exactly. Yeah, there you go. One Shannon Sharp. Uh, was not always move, put on the move, but he was and he was you know extremely strong. I mean, he was a guy that could bench press oh, 450 yeah. pounds and sure. squat 600 pounds, all that kind of crazy foolishness. But he, he didn't mean he was any bigger. He still was 229 pounds and right. you know six one and a half. So right. you know, so despite his bigger, right, and he was, when he goes up against, well, you know, when he goes up against something that's long and strong. Um, right. Yeah, you didn't want him you didn't want him singled up on Charles Mann or you know, yeah. singled up on you know, uh you know, Chris Dolman. I mean that wasn't like something you wanted to see. <laughs> it wasn't one of the things you wanted to scheme up as a coordinator. Exactly. So you use them more as wide receivers, you know, um movable chess feet, whatever you want to call it nowadays. You know, um, these movable chess makes you sound smarter than what you got. But, you know, Jonas Smith, I think, is one of those ace recce guys that I think could have some – he's honestly a wide receiver, man. Honestly, I'm just going to be honestly. Sure, why he's, not? Let's do it. He's 6'2", 230. And yep. that – and now I believe the weight because I've seen him. He's not exactly like a – you know, he's not like a – 250 pound, all packed in type of guy. So he's like, he really is legitimately probably seen 30, probably less than that. So might, might I be, think, yeah. I think honestly, he should make a transition to wide receiver um, or some sort of power slot situation, I guess. That's what to put it. So, but I mean, he's, other than him, that's about it at international. From everything I've seen, uh, they have, I think, Wakefield. Did he graduate? Well, already? the players who. Oh, he's still there. Mm-hmm. Right. Still there. Okay, yeah. so Michael Wakefield and uh, and Jody Smith, those are the two guys for me. And the guy I think is the the other corner in the conference who might be about as good as um, as Mr. Craval. Is Richard Leonard? Have you caught his his act yet at the uh, Florida International? Yeah, a little bit. Um, he's he reminds me of Leonard Johnson, probably not, but you know, uh, hmm. but he, he mm-hmm. he's uh, you know he's a little smaller, but he's pretty good. Um, some, I mean, hmm. 
don't know, there's a few things here and there, and a lot of times the tape I had of him wasn't really that great, first of all, because, you know, I'm not, I don't get all 22 tape or whatever, you know, so I usually am just kind of basing off of, you know, they disappear, and here they are again, so I'm really just judging tackling ability and stuff like that. Um, I think he was pretty solid overall, um, and I would agree that he probably, in terms of cornerbacks in the conference, he'd probably be number one or number two. Um, I just wish he was a little more consistently involved in run support. Yes. <laughs> I guess. I'm sure I'm sure Matt House, the defensive coordinator, wishes the same thing. Um, that would be kind of my only sort of thing, I guess, to throw my shoes at him about. But, um, sure. That's my that. Yeah, well, it's a, depending on how you scheme up your defense, that can be a significant thing. Because you know that's you, that's potentially a big play. If that's if that's your contained guy and he's not containing, that's trouble. But um, yeah, I agree with you largely. Um, like I said, I think they have essentially one guy who has a really good chance to be drafted, um, and we just mentioned him a second ago in, in Richard Leonard. Um, and yeah, Johnny Smith is a guy who's just a junior. I don't. I mean, I guess once again, he could have, you know, some freakish breakout kind of performance. I'll tell you um, who I really do like also, and I've been talking about him for a while, is Anton Samuel, who had a thousand-yard season at Bowling Green and then transferred due to a family situation and had to go back to the Florida area, the South Florida area, he was a son. And I think that's another guy. He may or may not be drafted, but he's on my second team all under. Like he probably, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I haven't finished the all under appreciated team, but I think he'll probably end up being a second team guy on the all under appreciated team. He's um, a good running back, um, not huge, but has a little more power. I think a little more pop in him than a, most people might assume a guy like that. His size would have a fair amount of toughness for a you know smallest. Not the smallest, medium size. Well, slightly below medium size, running back, I guess. And he's developing the ability to catch the ball as well. And he's not an amazing receiver of the ball yet, but he's he's grown uh, since I first spotted him as a as a true freshman back at uh, at Bowling Green. And I think that this is going to be sort of a breakout year to some extent for him. So looking at a few other, I guess, yeah, I guess I'll probably do a Florida National, actually. I don't want to belabor the point too much. Um, Louisiana Tech is probably another one of those programs that I'm going to say they're about to explode onto the, you know, I mean, they have a they have one of the well more well known coaches in the conference. Obviously, uh, son of Lou Holtz, Skip Holtz. Tony Peterson is the offensive coordinator, and Blake Baker is the defensive coordinator. They have a pretty decent support in terms of the um, fan base. They have a pretty good chance, I think, maybe to to win the the conference. They have a exper- fairly let's say maybe experienced. Well, we'll see. I mean, they have just just we'll see what's going on at quarterback, but. 
Um, you know, Cody Sokol had a good last year, you know, there transferring in, and I guess Jeff Driscoll maybe hopes the same thing can happen for him. Um, Ryan Higgins and, uh, well, whatever. I mean, I'm assuming it's Driscoll's job. He's a guy who can run some. Jeff Driscoll's a big, strong kid. He's, you know, 6'3 and changed, 234 pounds, which, you know, means he's better than a lot of the linebackers they have at Louisiana Tech. They have a lot of skill position talent where he's sort of dropping in. Uh, a former LSU wide receiver commit in Paul Turner. We have Trent Taylor, who's might be an all-conference guy. We have Carlos Henderson, who can flat-out run, probably a mid-to-low 4-4 kind of guy. And like I said, Kenny Dixon. Kenneth Dixon is one of my favorite running backs in the country. So who amongst – well, who do you like? Who do you like? What do you like? What do you think Louisiana Tech's going to do this year? And, and who are some of the guys you have decided to spotlight? Well, Jeff Driss. You think the job is 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 the? I mean, I don't know if it's a fate. I don't know if it's a fate accompli exactly. You know, Ryan Higgins isn't just gonna, you know, walk away and say, "Well, you know, I've gotten a shot." Here's the thing: Jeff Driscoll had his best practice of his entire life. And then had one of the worst games in his entire career against Alabama. Correct. How often does that happen? Where you have the best practice you've ever had, followed by one of the worst games you've ever had? I'm sure it happens occasionally, but... Occasionally, yeah. yeah. But it's probably uh, not, not very often. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm going I'm gonna, I'm gonna to wait before I drink this. The Jack Driscoll drink, I'm trying to say. Um, I don't have to drink it right now. I can wait. You do not. Uh, you can't. And see if there's any other beverages they'd like to provide. So, um, I I don't know what's going to go. Kenneth Dixon, obviously, is a guy, offense-wise, that I think everybody already knows about. It's not really a secret anymore, I guess. No, it's not really a secret. Most people have them as their life top third, top five guy. Um, I'm not going to say he's overrated. Um, he reminds me a lot of like a bigger Amir Abdullah kind of. It's not an unfair comparison. It's, it's not an unfair comparison at all. You probably, like Abdullah, he'll probably put up nice numbers in terms of broad and vertical, and he'll probably be a little disappointing in his 40 time. So he might be a little faster than Abdullah's, but probably not blazing. Yeah, I mean, you'll probably put up four, five, four, six, or something like that. It's not bad, yeah. you know. People will, some people lose their minds though and be like, "All right, well, I'm taking well, four, five, four, six, man, park around now, park four, start around." You'd be like, "What's that?" Yeah, <laughs> that could happen, especially if he's coming from lower level division. So I think people yeah. might lose their mind over a guy like that and go, "Why? Why is this happening?" It'd be like, you know. Conference USA, right? But that doesn't matter. Well, statistically, it kind of does. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For, yeah, but forget your statistics. But anyway, so I like Dixon. And the other guy I really like is at defensive tackle in Vernon Butler. 
6309, kind of a three tacky sort of, um, kind of that mid range, you know, in between too thin, just you know, not not too big, not too thin type guy um, that you can put in a four three, um, decent hands, pretty active on every play. Uh, I like him a good deal. He's probably in my top five. Right now, in terms of defense tackling, he's probably in the top five, yeah. Um, probably at the five spot, so in terms of D-tackle going in. So um, I kind of like them a lot. And who else? Uh, Trent Taylor's obviously interesting wide receiver that they got there. Um, defense one. Xavier Woods, I think he's coming back. Let me see. Yeah, he's coming back. I don't think he's either. Xavier Woods is pretty decent, but I think he might stay another year, possibly, or might not. Uh, we'll have to see. Uh, and then, of course, they also have uh, a Darius Barnes, the other guy, too. Um, kind, of, kind of does the same, too. But um, Houston Bates is also kind of interesting. A little bit, but I mean, uh, with them, I mean, defense-wise, I really like the defensive pieces they have there, and I like Kenneth Dixon a lot, and that's about it. So, um, Jeff Driscoll will never be a draftable player to me, um, unless he shows a lot more, um, especially confidence, because I don't want a backup to be a backup. I want a backup to win me a football game. So. Like, I don't see Jeff Driscoll even as a backup like, as someone that can win the football game, which is one of the one of the things you want your backup to be able to do. So, and that's one thing I worry about with him is I don't know if he is confident enough um, and and polished enough to really to win a football game. If you if the starter goes down, Jeff Driscoll don't want us again. I'm not sure he can do that. So. I mean, he was another guy when I was watching his tape in uh, high school, because you know, everybody's like, oh, it's five star recruits, this or that. Uh, I don't know. I do. I did see the Tebow similarities, but the bad mm-hmm. Tebow. The bad Tebow, right? Not the yeah, good Tebow, the, the bad I was Tebow. Gonna say, I was going to say he's a right-handed, left-talented version of Tim Tebow. Yeah, it's not a great, great thing to hear. About I mean, I mean, yeah. There's a lot of great things here, but I mean, you know, Bill. I mean, it's Jeff Crystal. I mean, <laughs> I mean, uh, what we're supposed to do, right? We're supposed to gang up on him and and do that kind of stuff because he's supposed to. Be I mean, you know, I mean, he's going to try to do his thing. I don't know if he's going to win the job, as already stated, because uh, he was really. It wasn't like a. Who was the records quarterback? That uh, oh, Gary Nova. Yeah, Gary Nova. Gary, Gary Nova's Nova better than Jeff Driscoll. Yeah, exactly. Gary Nova's a guy that if he went down a level of competition, he might actually be like a god, like the Nova god, you know, type situation. <laughs> Driscoll's not a guy I see going down a level and really improving. Because a lot of his issues deal with mechanics, deals with education, deals with just 
knowledge of the offense. Um, and maybe he didn't get the best of coaching in Florida because, again, the Florida's offense has been really one of the worst offenses in the SEC. I, I'm not going to say forever, but definitely in a while has been one of the worst. So um, maybe maybe he might improve, but I, I just don't. Yeah. But as far as, like I said, as far as I'm concerned, Kenneth Dixon, uh, Vernon Butler, uh, Barnes, Kind of interesting to go check out him, Xavier Woods, and the other guy. Yeah, and I, I'll show you some other guys, Will. No, that's pretty much it. <laughs> you pretty much named most of them that I think anybody would, would know or care about in terms of that particular school. Um, but like I said, their wide receivers are, are very, at least to me, are very interesting. Um, if the school has a big year, it will be, if not entirely, then at least in part because of the talent they have at the position. Right, you know, and of course, Quentin Patton, he's not that eligible, but, you know, he's on for an <laughs> When will that happen, Bill? Are yeah, you surprised right. that Quentin Patton hasn't ascended up the wheelchair that is the 49ers passing office? Well, I think at some point, and this this year could be that point, I think he will begin to ascend. I mean, they, I would not be, I would be shocked if, if he doesn't see a lot more balls this year that he, well, I mean, he's seen virtually none, so I guess the only way to go really is up, but I think we will see more production out of him this year. So, this brings us to one of the more interesting programs in the nation, and obviously one of the most interesting programs in the conference in Marshall. I can remember, and I guess Steve can remember when Marshall uh, was a Division II team when I was very young, and then um, later they were a, a bit of a powerhouse at the FBS level, you know, a team that consistently was in the playoffs and then was a MAC team, and then I don't think they were ever in the Sun Belt, though they might have. I, I think they were in quite a few conferences for a while there. Um, but then finally made their way to Conference USA a few years ago. And they, the guy who's apparently won the quarterback competition is a transfer up from James Madison. You don't see that very often. The guy, you know, goes from James Madison, goes from FBS, but some of it happens, uh, FCS to FBS. But he's like, he's, be the guy. he's like the Annie with King Kato, too. Yeah, he's a, he's a, yeah, he's a big dude. He's a... Um, Sort of like a poor man, you know, Jeremy Johnson. I mean, he's a big kid with a big arm. I guess the real question is, uh, you know, how much can he absorb? How quickly can he get out there and start operating the offense at a high level? But Birdsong has a lot of stuff you you want. I mean, the kid's like 6'4 and 3'8 and 244 pounds, so he's He's a whole different kettle of fish physically, as you pointed out, Steve, from what they had before in Rakeem Cato. And the thing is that Rakeem Cato was one of my favorite players to watch last year. I loved Rakeem Cato. Loved him. And I still think he'll – he may not be in the lower 48, but I think he's going to find a way to be a good, effective quarterback at some level of football for somebody. I think he's in um... – like where where is Dan Lafever Lefe- play? Dan Lefever is that what you said? Yeah, 
that guy. Where did he play? Uh, yeah, people were at Central Michigan. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, Ricky, yeah, Kato is in, uh, funny he's enough, probably, competing with Brandon Bridge on the Montreal. Yeah, I was going <laughs> yeah, to say, uh, last night, Montreal ended up, uh, Crump, Johnson Crompton got hurt. I'm still amazed right. that Johnson Crompton's a, 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 a pro quarterback. Hey, uh, hey, hey. He, and you know who he has to thank for that? Yes, Lane Kiffin to thank for that, <laughs> in case you're wondering. I mean, I mean that his, kid, next, his next to the last year, he was horrible. Well, you know, Steve, you know I give out an award each year, which I call the, the Yates-Crompton Award, because <laughs> T.J. Yates' nickname going into his senior year at U.S. North Carolina was T.J. Yikes. And then in Jonathan Crompton, I can't tell you what you would know better than I would, some of the things that people called him when he was at Tennessee. But but those guys pulled it out of the fire, basically, their last year of college. I mean, T.J. Yates got drafted. He's still in the league. He's in the NFL. And then, as you point out, Crompton's in the CFL. Those guys had massive late career turnarounds. I mean, but yeah. I mean, he was – and Jonathan Crompton legitimately – Got Phil Fulmer fired. <laughs> he was he was bad. He was awful. Oh my god, he was awful. Yep. I mean, fact, he was he, his his junior, his junior year was so bad. I'm surprised that Dave Clawson ever got hired in football again. That's how <laughs> bad that offense was. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I remember, like I said. I, I think people under – when people like to talk stuff about Lane Kiffin, I look at what he's done at some of the places he's stopped along the way, and I still – I mean, he should have that on his resume tape, this highlight reel, is how you put it, is when he – here's what I found when I found Jonathan Crompton. Here's what he looked like when I got done with him. Lane Kiffin should have that anywhere he goes, whatever he does in life, he should show people that. How many people could do that with Jonathan Crompton? I, yeah, I, I still maintain if, if Lane Kiffin had stayed at Tennessee, not gotten caught in that mess that USC became uh, in those in those just unbelievably egregious sanctions that the NCAA dropped on them, he's, yeah. he's considered one of the best coaches in the uh, in, in the NCAA right now. Best head coaches. Well, he was recruiting like a monster, and like I said, he was getting, even before they had really enough, you know, enough in the chamber, he was managing to, like I said, he's getting some things done there. I'm not sure there's a long list of dudes who could have, could have done what he did with what he found when he got there. So I still believe he's going to be a successful head coach, um, maybe not the NFL level, but at some level, well, probably Cleveland I mean, level. He's going to be the coach of Miami, and then they're going to win the national championship, and then he's going to yeah, again. <laughs> so. again, I'm a Raider fan. I, I had to deal with Lane Kiffin. He was right about everything. He was. It's just, he was. He was a dick about it. That was a problem. Yes, but that's <laughs> always been the like that's and that is what it's going to say on his headstone. You know, he was right about everything, and there'll be dot dot dot. But you know, so that's <laughs> going to be that's unfortunately until he changes his personality. 
That's going to be on his head, though. Uh, you know, Jamar is not a very good quarterback. <laughs> he tried to tell them. Oh, well, then you're an idiot if you think that. What's he saying? He's called, what's he saying? He called me. He's making me call me. Al, he called me an idiot. <laughs> The th- the thing is, the thing is, is you can be a head coach and be a dick, but you gotta win before you be a dick. And because right, yeah, because like 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 Nick Saban is not all all peace, love, and happiness, but he's won a whole bunch of football games. You know, Woody Hayes. Right now, Woody, Woody Hayes did some pretty crazy stuff, but he won a whole lot of football games. Right, so eventually he did crazy stuff and wasn't winning a whole bunch of football games. Like. If he'd done what he'd done while they were playing for the national championship, people would have been upset at Woody Hayes, but he would have had a job. But he did what he did at the um, Citrus Bowl, or I believe, or Gator, sorry, Gator Bowl. He did what he did at the Gator Bowl. Citrus Bowl. Like, yeah, yeah. So you can't be doing that stuff at the Gator Bowl yeah. and hold on to your job. Yeah, if he, you know, if Ohio State had been winning like they did in prime Woody Hayes time, the dude deserved it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, he would have he would have survived that little issue. So Birdsong finds himself stepping into a it's not I won't say the the I won't say they're overstocked right now, but they've got some talent there. Uh Devon Johnson, Stuart Butler are a couple of guys who I think are interesting players. Um Devon uh, Johnson wait. is a So so Birdsong, the quarterback from Madison James Madison? James Madison, JMU. That guy? Yep, that's the guy. He's transferred up and apparently won the job at Marshall. There you go. It shows it can be done. He's Kitten the S. I'll say that much. Kind of John Kitten. If John Kitten wasn't, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I do remember a little bit of that. That's surprising that he transferred. Okay. I didn't know that. Okay. See, I keep learning lots of things on the show, Bill. See, there you go. Devontae Allen, uh, Angelo, Jean-Louis, Deontay McManus. They've got some guys, frankly. Um, They have at least one offensive lineman, I think, maybe two, find their way into a camp. And um, Clint Van Horn and Sebastian Johansson. Um, I think Devontae Allen's a guy that's going to be in somebody's camp. Uh, they've got Jarquez Samuel and DJ Hunter amongst their defensive guys and uh, Taj Letman who are, who are guys who have, you know, there's some talent there, not amazing guys. And then they've got uh, UCF transfer Blake Keller, who I think will be eligible this year. Uh, Joe Masquai played sort of in a rotational kind of thing last year. He, they're expecting more from him at defensive end. And yes, he is related to Jonathan Massaquah, um, in case you were wondering, former defensive in slash outside linebacker from Troy. But it's in the that's Falcons. The, yeah, I think that's where he landed. I think he ended up on the Falcons. But yeah, Jim, uh, Marshall, who are some of the guys that you have devoted some time and attention to and have caught your attention? Uh, well, Devon Johnson, I he's kind of uh, if he, I'm not sure if he's a fullback or what. I mean, he's, he's really big running he's, back. 
Yeah, the answer is yes to both things. It all depends on what you like in a back. But yeah, he's he's a big boy. Yeah. <laughs> he he looks kind of like an H back. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But I mean, that's, that's but the thing is, is he kind of do a little bit of both. Not a ton though. Um, but I think that there's, you know, there's a little Alfred Morris in him to a certain extent. You yeah. know, um, right. Morris and Charles Clay had a baby. That's what he would look like. <laughs> I'm sorry. No, go ahead. I I love when people laugh at my jokes. Continue, Isaiah. No one's ever going to say stop laughing at my jokes. <laughs> 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 uh, uh, okay. um, um, yeah. Yeah. Go, yeah. Yeah. So that's some of the, go ahead, Jim. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. So some of that. Um, deeper. There wasn't a ton of guys that really jumped out at me. So, I mean, they all, I mean, Joe Roberts was a cornerback last year that I was a big fan of. Um, Corey Kendall, kind of their nickel guy. And he's kind of, he's a redshirt sophomore. So I don't know if he's either player earlier or not, but he's somebody that. I'm guessing no. Yeah, he's somebody that I, I liked uh, last year. Uh, across from Robert, who's on the Patriots right now. Um, and then we'll see it. Yeah, not a, not a ton of guys on defense. The only, only, the only guys I'm really big fan of, you know, Devon Johnson and wide receiver-wise. I mean, they had a ton of different guys. Obviously, Thomas Schuler, I think, is a, I think he already declared. You know, in the NFL or somewhere. Um, Eric Fronapple, I think is there. I think he's another guy's dog. But yeah, I mean, it's, it'll be interesting to see what happens there, but obviously, he went off this guy to really look at an offense and defense. Um, the only guy that I really was kind of, you know, impressed with is Corey uh, Tindall. I'll mention one of the names, maybe late draftable, but definitely a guy who will be a fighter in draft free agents, a punter. Tyler Williams has a big leg. Oh, a punter. Yes, uh, their punter, Tyler Williams, is a guy that I, he's sort of my dark horse candidate to win the league guy award, in fact. So I, I like him as a guy that finds a way to, like I said, worst case scenario, he's an undrafted free agent, but he's a guy that I could see, you know, somewhere in the sixth round being a, a selection. Right. That you I don't, I don't normally, I, I don't normally ask this question, Bill, but what was your favorite punting play of his? I'm glad you asked me that, actually. Oh, <laughs> um, so last year in their game against um, Ohio, actually. So there was a game they won, and it was a bad snap, uh, low and to his left, and they had a punt lock on. You know, they were sort of desperate, trying to come back late in the game, late in the third. It was a, 
I think they didn't even have a return man back, so they're bringing basically 11. So it's an extra man. He manages to sort of sidestep the guy who's, you know, who they missed. It was a missed block. So the guy comes flying at him. So he feels a bad snap. He loses this guy and still gets off about a 47-yard punt. So he shows some athletic ability along with the big leg. Okay. So he's worth checking out. And he's got a good he's got a good touch to toe time also. He doesn't take a long time to get rid of it. You know, so that's also a big thing. A lot of these guys are super powerful, but they take too long to get rid of it. Right. And so, you know, this pro scouts are like, Good God, this kid's you know, he's a he's a one eight two. He'll never get the ball off. He'll he'll mm-hmm. block every putt at the next level. So he he has a shot because he's, he's very efficient with his uh, motions. Yeah, he's he's compact and he's athletic. All right. Okay. So there's a lot. Hey, that might be that might be the guy that gets drafted over the next person. You never know. Any fourth or fifth round long snappers? <laughs> you know, I would like to say no, but I could be proven wrong. I mean, there's always one or two guys every year that you, you sort of smack yourself on the forehead and say, how did that happen? But uh, a bunch of Jeff in that long snapper this year. Hey, you know, it happens, like I said, it happens every year that somebody – you know, decides to stock up on long snappers somewhere. Well, that's the, that was the fourth long snapper drafted in NFL history. Two of them were from the Patriots. Yes. <laughs> he loves long snappers. And as we pointed out, you know, he grew up partially at Annapolis where his father, Steve, was on the staff there at Naval Academy. So he's always had a soft spot for guys from the, from the Naval Academy. So, right. brings us to Middle- <laughs> I know. That brings us to Middle Tennessee State, the Blue Raiders. I'm yep. currently sitting about six miles from the university. There you go. So we have a <laughs> we have special... an inside source. Exactly. <laughs> so what's the what's the hot doings? What's the hot takes out of uh <laughs> Out of, is it Murfreesboro? Is that, is that the? Mm-hmm. Murfreesboro. That's what I thought, yeah. What are the 32, miles south, two, 32 miles southeast of Nashville, the geographic center of the state of Tennessee. Uh, so what, who, who, who should we be keeping an eye out for, Steve? Kevin Byers. Oh, the big, the big thumper safety? Big stuff for safety, but also a guy with some ball skills. True. Uh, and, and a little wiggle once he gets his hand on the ball. Uh, he came into his junior year after only two years as the active leader in interception return yardage uh, in the NCAA, and he's already he still retains that. He is within shot of being the all-time leader in NCSU. <laughs> And both interceptions and tackles. So, oh, that's not too shabby. Uh, he's got a rare combination of skills. It really, it's gonna, 
you, you know, if he if he taps out as a guy in the four sixes, he's probably going to be you know a really good player. He taps out in the four seven, four eight. Mm, well, you know, a little That's different for, for you, young man. Yeah, <laughs> that's what that means. Like, yeah. But so, I, mean, I mean, here's a guy that. He's a good he player. He's a good football player. I agree. He has a chance to be what some people thought Calvin Fire was. I mean, he's mm-hmm. he's got a skill set. I don't know what Calvin similar. Fire is. No, he could be he could be what people thought Calvin Fire was, and they thought he was you know a really good player. Um, the uh, the the fact is that the only issue, and you mentioned it, is time speed. I think to me the over under is at four five eight. Anything four five eight or under. Yeah, he gets drafted, if not in the top 100, then I'd say somewhere in the top 125 or so. But over 458, you know, it uh, could be – I mean, I still, you think he still gets drafted, but it could be a, a nice expensive slide down the board at that point, fair or, fair or unfair. I mean, and he's also a guy that can – he's played every special team in his, you know, in his yep. whole time there. He's a guy that can play special teams. He was the not just, USA not just play special teams player. But he was just gonna say he's not just, he doesn't play special teams. He's a special teams standout. He he like had like the first punt return of his career. He returned it for seventy six yards uh, for a touchdown. <laughs> so he, he's a he's a guy with like I said a multitude of skills uh, for at the safety position. And like I said, if you're looking at an NFL prospect. And at MTSU, I mean, he's he's dead. I mean, he's the guy. I, I don't see any other those any of those other guys even having you know even being guys that are going to be brought in as un, undrafted free agents. I mean, so <laughs> wow. Okay. So <laughs> I mean, I mean, kind of for GSA, you're just not going to have four or five prospect NFL prospects on every team. You just you're just not. I mean, okay. it's just. I mean, you know, for maybe one or two teams are that way, but. I mean, their conference okay. USA isn't. I got gotcha. you. And it's currently you don't, even, you don't even see. You don't see. You, you, and this is another possible all-name team candidate. You don't see Ed Marcus, and that's one name. Uh, you don't think Ed Marcus <laughs> Batis is going to be a guy at least to get the you know camp invite or something? Because he, he showed me some things. Could I mean it's just it's hard to get those. With I mean you got to be a real standout. In my experience at MTSU, you have to be a you have to be a really really good player. <laughs> right, I got uh, uh, like I mean the, the if you look at MTSU alone in the league right now, I think you're looking at Eric, Eric that creep Eric Walden and uh, Benny Cunningham. So. So I yeah. still love Benny Cunningham. I've always loved Benny Cunningham. <laughs> but uh yeah, that was about it in the league now. And so yeah, I mean, like I said, Byard is the guy if we're, if we're talking NFL prospect. He's the he's the NFL prospect, I might say. Okay, same question for you, Jim. Who are some of the guys you have your eye on? Eyes your eyes or maybe one eye, who knows? I mean eyes. Uh, who are some of the guys that you're, you're, to whom you're paying attention at uh, MTSU? Uh, I, have two, I have two eyes, and they're all on Kevin Bayard. That's about it. 
this is a again. This is I don't want to hype it or whatever, but it's going to be a good safety class. But yeah, it's, it's going to be a good safety class. Um, it's going to be because of I, I see him definitely as sort of a top 100, maybe 125 guy because of where he plays. But he's definitely got it to be a starter, strong safety, uh, free safety anywhere. Um, he's yeah, a pretty pretty good player. Okay, so that brings us to beautiful North Texas. And, of course, being in Texas means you usually have at least a certain amount of access to Texas high school talent. And everybody wants access to Texas high school talent. And as always, there's at least a couple of players, at least in my time, and obviously there's you know, Hall of Famers, you want to go back to the mean Joe Green days, but it's been a while between drinks between Hall of Fame type guys or even top three, four type prospects, but they have some guys. Um, Cheryl Lemon, their uh, right tackle, is gone, and he was probably the best player on the team. Maybe the best returning player is probably wide receiver Carlos Harris. But uh, Jim, who are some of the guys that you've noticed or liked, or who are some of your favorite guys for the Mean Green? I know my sort of favorite nickname amongst college football teams. <laughs> yeah, the Mean, the mean Green. Uh, yeah, I, mean, I like um, you know Carlos Carlos Harris is definitely one of the guys that I like. Well, kind of a slot guy, um, and, and they kind of turn out a bunch of slot guys. They have that one slot guy that is on the Chargers, I think, on the practice squad. But uh, he's he's still there, so you know he didn't get cut yet. But yeah, he, he's Carlos uh, Harris is one of the slot guys I kind of see there um, at the right tackle position. Um, I've seen a little bit of him, and he kind of did stick out a little bit um, in terms of just his overall size and stuff like that. Because that's one of the things you're kind of looking for. Uh, at tackles, you know, side, so he kind of had that kind of stuff. He could move people, so um, he's kind of there. Um, I think Derek Atune, I'm not sure if he's a senior, though. Doesn't check. Oh, yeah, he's gone. So, yeah, he's gone, and they obviously lost a bunch of other people. Huh. Yeah. That's really that. That's really about it. Just Carlos Harris and the the uh, right tackle for uh, North Texas. Not a ton of guys, obviously. No, not a ton. Not a ton. Yeah, they um they fought their way to uh, you know four eight and four and eight and two and six um, in conference. This year they have SMU, Rice, Iowa, ouch. Then Southern Miss, Portland State, uh, West Kentucky, Marshall, UTSA, Louisiana Tech, Tennessee, Middle Tennessee, and UTEP. I'm seeing maybe four wins this year. Let me see. Maybe more. Let me see. I didn't see check. six, but this is six. Woo, okay. This seems in. So this 
that's being extremely generous. Um, so you must have them beating Louisiana Tech. Because I do have them beating UTEP. I do have them beating Portland State. I do have them beating whew, maybe Southern Miss. I think it's hard. And UTSA. I don't see them beating Marshall. I don't see them beating Western Kentucky. I don't see the. I don't see them beating either Rice or SMU. I don't see them beating Iowa. Like I said, they might have sub, they might get a little streak there with Southern Miss and Portland, and I think they end up losing to Western Kentucky. I don't think they're gonna beat Marshall. UTSA they should win. <sighs> tech, that's a push, but gun to my head, I would definitely give that to Tech. I think Tech might be one of the best teams in in their conference. In fact, uh, Tennessee. I mean, Tennessee's probably gonna beat them pretty badly in the middle of Tennessee. They might win that game, so I guess I guess maybe they might get to. I mean, if they beat UTEP, they beat Middle Tennessee, UTSA, Portland State, Southern Miss. Yeah, I mean, I could see. Yeah, I think even Middle Tennessee could be a stretch. I mean, I could see maybe five. I said I didn't think Middle Tennessee is going to be a stretch. I mean, Middle Tennessee did win six games in the conference last year, and they didn't lose a whole lot. So, Right. So, I mean, it's – and plus they'll be coming off Tennessee pounding the crap out of them. <laughs> yes, that's never <laughs> helpful. <laughs> but, and, yes, so that brings they, us now to – They'll be trying to wipe uh, off orange off the church. <laughs> That brings us to where I guess I have a little bit of semi-expertise, having grown up. In fact, I played college football where they now play college football because at the time I was in college, they now the football teams or our football team actually played home games at Foreman Field uh, a long time ago. (laughs) (laughs) Um, ODU didn't have a football team from 1930-something, I believe, until about, I guess now about eight, years ago, I guess, or seven. But, um, but yes, yeah, so previous to that, they didn't have a football program. They had a soccer program. And so Norfolk State played its home games on the campus of ODU. So we would, it was sort of, a, you know, sort of an odd sensation. You know, you get all fired up. You get all ready to go. You put on your uniform. You get on a bus to go to your home game. But, uh, yeah. But, yeah, so that's where you played with Foreman Field. They have improved Foreman Field since I played there. It is bigger. Uh, they've added about 6,000 seats, and it's prettier. They've definitely done some, some prettification, uh, some beautification work has been done since, since I played there many, 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 many years ago. Coach Bobby Wilder is, of course, a program builder, um, so six years, six years. Uh, he's, you know, helped to build it from nothing, essentially. Uh, last year was their first season as a full-fledged FBS school, and they scratched out six wins, which, like I said, is a tribute, one, to the productivity of talent in the Tidewater area because they're getting essentially the second and third best kids from the Tidewater area, obviously Virginia, Virginia Tech, North Carolina, and some of the other ACC schools, and heck, even Florida and, you know, other programs. I mean, you know, you saw Mr. Sweat, you know, being one of the most hotly recruited players in the country when he came out of Oscar C. Smith. So you're basically, like I said, building a program 
and now, you know, an FBS program based on the second and third best kids, mostly out of the Tidewater area. And they occasionally find a kid like Heineke, who's a kid from just outside of Atlanta, but most of the talent on that team, the vast majority of the talent on the team is homegrown. But Coach Wilder, as I said, is a heck of a heck of a builder. Um, Brian Scott is one of the bright upcoming offensive coordinators. I see he's I think he'll be a head coach someday soon, in the next I'd say three or so years somewhere. And Rich Nagy, their uh, defensive coordinator, is another guy who I think I mean, he may stay a D coordinator, but I think he'll be a D coordinator at a bigger school before very long. They had a pretty good crop coming in too. Um, I'll just mention some of the guys that came in in their last year's recruiting class. Uh, Nigel Cox is going to be a player. They got Derek Wilder, a uh, kid who's going to make an impact not this year, then probably next. Jamez Brickhouse, cool name and a really good player. And a kid from outside of the uh, – two kids, I guess, from outside of the area. They got a kid from Lawrenceville, Georgia, named Miles Fox, who's going to be a, probably going to redshirt and get him bigger. But when he when he's ready to go, he's going to be a monster on their D-line. And a kid named Casey Bernard from White Plains, Maryland, who's another sort of small but very mobile linebacker type. But then, of course, linebackers are getting smaller and more mobile anyway. This is a team that lost Antonio Vaughn to graduation, and he was probably their, you know, their go-to. Well, not probably. He was their go-to guy. And, of course, they lost the number one quarterback in the history of their program. Of course, the program's six years old. But, obviously, the number one quarterback in the history of their program in Taylor Heineke, guy who won the Walter Payton Award, backed it through for over, in fact, darn near 15,000 yards. Um, you know, yeah, he's been the one quarterback in a lot of programs. A whole lot of programs, actually. Not just six-year-old <laughs> programs. If you dropped him onto the campus at Indiana, he'd be the number one quarterback in the history of the program. You could drop him on there's a lot of campuses he could visit, and he'd be the number one cat. You're right about that. Um, Schuler Bentley is the guy that looks like he's going to end up winning that job. He's another sort of undersized, super productive guy who holds the state record in the state of South Carolina with 71 touchdown passes as a senior. That's not career, dude. That's his senior year. That's crazy. (laughs) I mean, what the heck? But um, uh, he he backed up Heineke, though I don't think he ever touched the football. Uh, Joey uh, Verhey is another guy that's going to be sort of competing for the job. And they have an interesting running back in Ray Lowry a guy who just missed having a 1,000-yard season last year and I think will actually hit that level this year. Um, Poncho Barnwell, speaking of cool names, Poncho Barnwell is their, one of their better defensive players. Uh, he's a productive, though not super gifted, but productive defensive end. And Devon Brown, the UAB transfer, is a guy who might be one of their better um, guys in their secondary. They also have Falante Misher. And Devon Brown is a guy I think is worth watching in their, uh, at, their, at the cornerback position. So, Jim, I don't know how much ODU football you have to watch. I get a chance to go back occasionally and try to catch at least one game in person back in my old stomping grounds. But uh, who are some of the guys, if there are some guys, you might have your eye on? Uh, probably none of them coming in. Um, <laughs> Okay. <laughs> and coming in? No, not really. I mean, Heineke was the quarterback I saw a lot of last year. Obviously, Vaughn um, kind of did his thing at wide receiver. But um, on defense, I didn't really see a ton of. So. I would expect this match from Jim. 
Jim. What? I said I would expect this much from you and not paying attention to this school. Well, I've seen it. A lot of other games, actually. I saw their game against uh, Louisiana Tech. They had one against Southern Mississippi. Uh, another one was against Florida Atlantic, I believe. Another one. So I've seen a bunch of their games. I just wasn't really impressed with a bunch of their players. So um, Yeah, their, their defense was like, they gave up like, they think they had hit for 56 by Marshall. Western Kentucky dropped 66 on them. I mean, yep. you saw if you saw most of the ODU game on their defense. What you noticed was them chasing guys, as the, yeah. as the other team was running into the end zone. Exactly. So the good so, news. Yeah. So the good like, news. The Tom Cruise of defense, Yeah, the good news is I think they will be better as a defense. I feel confident mm-hmm. they'll be better as a defense. You can only get. They're probably going to get better. They're going to lose a little bit as an offense, I believe. I mean, I don't think it's really going much of a stretch. They'll be more of a running – I mean, not they're going to be, you know, they're not going to be Ohio State circa 1966, but they'll be more of a running team this year. Like I said, that's why one reason I feel so confident that uh, Lowry's going to reach the 1,000-yard mark. Obviously, they, they're not going to lean as heavy on the quarterback as they did last year. I mean, you – you know, like I said, you know, they had a guy that was threatening some – all-time, all levels of football records, in fact. <laughs> you know, so he was flirting with some of the, you know, whatever, whoever, records of whoever, I mean, whatever level, anybody, he did some things. So uh, the guys I guess I would, once again, direct your attention to this year, Jim, is Ray Lowry, as I mentioned before. Amongst our offensive linemen, I guess I mentioned, mentioned Connor Mewborn. He's playing left tackle. He probably projects maybe the right tackle, perhaps to guard. And then amongst their defensive guys, I take I would direct your attention to Poncho Barnwell and Delonte um, Misher and uh, maybe Christian Byram a little bit as well. Byram was never even a starter, but he managed to get it. I think he was number two on the team in passes defense and tied for the team lead in interceptions despite being a part-time player. But um, uh, Misher and Devon Brown, the UAB transfers, I got mission is uh, Devon Brown, the kick from UAB. So Old Dominion kicks it off against uh, Eastern Michigan, then they play their, I would say, cross-town rivals off of state, but it's not even a cross-town. I mean, it's kind of the same side of town almost. I mean, they're probably separated by less than 10 miles, maybe. So not much more than 10. Probably less than 10. Uh, then they face the uh, NC State Wolfpack. That'll probably get ugly. But Appalachian State, that should be interesting. I mean, they probably won't win. Well, who knows? They might. That'll be an interesting game. That'll be sort of a watershed game for them. That should be kind of a watershed game. Appalachian State's going to win. I know, but it's not impossible that they could win that game, but I know what you're saying. With Appalachian State should win that game. Yes, well, well, it's a whole different shooting match. Yeah, they they have more than a shot. They they have a shot against a whole lot of people when they had Heineke back there. They don't Um, have Heineke. No, they do not. 
But their defense will no, better be this year. No, that's the other guy did. The other guy did throw seventy-one touchdown passes as a senior. I mean, <laughs> that's not too shabby. <laughs> that's that's a crazy number to be. I mean, obviously, I played when football was different, but I knew lots of guys that were three-year starters. Four-year starters, even who did throw seventy-one touchdown passes in their high school football careers—that's just nuts. <laughs> I just uh, the game is very different nowadays. Very, very different. Very, very different. You'd be shocked at the number of star college. I—I'm willing to bet that Joe Namath didn't have seventy-one touchdown passes in his career at Alabama. In fact, I'm almost certain he did. I don't well, think Montana. I don't think Montana passed for seventy-one touchdown passes in his collegiate career. Come to think of it, no, because he no, he did not. No, they were close. Yeah, but in Notre Dame, I mean, it was. You saw case. They were from the right. Football. Right. No, I know. I watched them. It was a wing team. They were a wing T team. So when people, you know, talk that mess about option quarterbacks or whatever, it's like, dude, you've never seen what Joe Montana did in college. So, you know, what do you yeah. think he was doing? Yeah, I mean, he was, he, I don't know. That was a different time. It was a different era. I know it was a different era. But I mean, he wasn't, he wasn't playing in a West Coast offense then. He was playing in a, you know, slobber knocker Midwest offense, where you know they might throw the ball unless they're getting their brains beaten out or whatever. When they, so then they start throwing the football. But they throw the, if they're winning, they might throw the football twelve to fifteen, maybe eighteen times if they're feeling froggy. Yes, they, but, uh, they feel that you're, 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 you're confusing current Notre Dame with 1970s Joe Montana Notre Dame. They get their brains beat out when Joe Montana. They get their brains beat out. Right. In those days, yes, they were beating people's brains in pretty well. Well, I'm going to say all the time, but a fair amount of the time. But moving along, um, I, I think Old Dominion had a shot at. Uh, yeah, they're going to drop off. I don't think they're going to get to six wins again this year. I think they're looking at more like four. Yeah. Not bad. But they won't, but they won't stay that long, just you're wondering. They won't stay that long. Okay. Like, this is, All right. I'm just telling you, this is a program that's going place. Now, I wish they'd stayed in the FCS another couple of years because I think they would have won a national championship if they just stayed at that level another couple of years. But whatever, you know. No why not? Let's, why, why can't they? I mean, we have to have some place to have all the fun. So. <laughs> why do you want to keep the, the blue man down, as they like to say? Well, I just, like I said, I understand the money and the whatever, but, I mean, they would. I can, I'm convinced that if they stayed two more years at the SPS level, they would have won a national championship. Maybe. Oh, well. I mean, but, there's when money the, and then the, there's championships. What do you want? I, I know. <laughs> Good point, Jim. What was I thinking? What was I thinking? Oh, what was I thinking? Money okay, or FCS so. championship? Just think about it. I mean, right, can, I know what you're saying. You have to I take down North saying. Dakota State, and I don't see Old Dominion as another rep type of play. So. I, I, I'm saying if Heineke there, you know, they stay in the conference. Heineke's there. Stay in the conference. Stay in the, that level of football. Heineke's there. Right. And they the lose to North Dakota State, State by two touchdowns. Maybe. I see what you're saying. I still think they might have. Well, whatever. We'll never know. Um, moving on down the line. 
So the sturdy owls at uh, Lovely Rice, first of all, have another one of the sort of cooler named players in the league in, in, in uh, Dreyfus Jackson, who had a really, really nice uh, year last year. And another one of the sort of, you know, dual threat, whatever term you like to use, guys who, you know, can pick up things with his feet, make stuff happen, throws the ball well enough. They have some guys, interesting guys also wide receiver. Dennis Parks, somebody mentioned the power slot position, which is becoming a position. These guys are usually, you know, X receivers or sometimes Z receivers in college, but they're not blazing fast, and they're guys that aren't afraid to go over the middle, aren't afraid to get, you know, have some linebacker, you know, line them up and for what would be a kill shot on a smaller a smaller uh, receiver, and they'll catch the ball, hold on to the ball, and get back up. That might be the future for that kid, Dennis Parks. Uh, but, yeah, Rice is a program that had a nice little run last year, obviously. He went 8-5, and five, uh, you know, had a nice little bowl situation. Um, they beat Fresno State. They, well, they, they, they had some pretty decent wins last year. Um, did not beat Notre Dame, probably the biggest game they had of the year. And they did not beat Old Dominion. Uh, so, you know, worth mentioning that Old Dominion mentioned. So just to confirm, you're saying that the same Old Dominion that beat Rice last year, if they'd stayed in the FCS, would not have beaten North Dakota State. You might be right. Uh, <laughs> North Dakota State has beaten. Yes. Yes. Don't forget. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Oh, I'm very aware of that. I watched them do it a couple of times. <laughs> I'm very much aware of that. You know, there's a bunch of... North Dakota State trailblazes the Conference USA, to be honest with you. So... Right. I'm agreeing that that was the team that should have moved up. You know, not not Old Dominion. Not, why, do not, why, why do you that? Why do you that? As soon as UNC Charlotte... God. They move UNC Charlotte... They don't get to continue their little championship run. They have to get at least 10, 10 championships. Yeah, and, then, and, then, and then move up. Right. No, I know what you're saying. Just, it just, it just, when, I, when I think about it, when I say it out loud that UNC Charlotte moved up, but North Dakota State stayed where they were. What a crazy world college football's turned into. Where a marginal to poor FCS program says, yeah, yeah, sure, what the heck, we'll go play FCS football, while a dominant murder machine in North Dakota State is going to continue to apply its trade where it is. Whatever. Moving on. So, um, this is America, Bill. This is America, Bill. <laughs> this is Kardashian. She exists. So, um, world we live in. Right. Uh, David Bayless. American system. Right. David Bayless, speaking of merit, is, I don't know how long he's going to stay at Rice, but he is a very good coach. Yeah. He's like a bum Phillips, you know, sort of, um, I don't know, every time I see him on the football field, he reminds me of bum Phillips on the line. At least got some of that down home, you know, southwestern. I mean, he's like a casting, you know, like central casting, hey, give me a guy that looks like a football coach, it'd be a guy that looks like David Bayless. And I guess somewhat the same true was true of guys like Bob Phillips. But uh, fifth-year senior Griffiths Jackson, like I said, is a guy that passed for almost 3,000 yards, had 24 touchdowns, 
uh, had a great spring. He did have off-season surgery on his left shoulder, but that is his non-throwing shoulder. And uh, we're expecting big things out of him. And then uh, Juwan Davis, who is another guy that came close to 1,000 yards, is probably one of the top five, but not probably is one of the top five running backs in the conference. Um, they have some interesting stuff. They have the, I guess, wild owl or whatever you call it package with Luke Turner, who uh, sometimes lines up the quarterback. He can still throw it a little bit. Their best offensive line is probably Caleb Williams. He has maybe an outside shot to be drafted, more like an undrafted uh, player than drafted free agent. They lost, obviously, Christian Covington, uh, who, you know, was probably the best pro prospect Bryce has had in, in a, I guess, since what? Uh, what's his name? The H-back, since what? James Casey, I guess. Um, they had a kid I really liked uh, named uh, – well, the wide receiver, uh, Dillard. Uh, what was his name again? Oh, my gosh. G- uh, Jarrett. Jarrett Dillard. I love Jarrett Dillard. I love so, Jarrett Dillard. <laughs> uh, so much yeah, was pretty no. bad when uh, he got whacked. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That didn't change my love for him. But, yes, he was so – such a technician. So he really understood, you know, creating separation, catching the ball, even away from his frame. And, you know, for a little guy, wasn't afraid to go over the – wasn't certainly fast. That was the issue. He could jump, though. I think he had a 42.5 vert. He just never very great – never gave 40. But I think he had a great vertical, if memory serves it correctly, uh, when, he, when he went to the combine. But um, on defense, there's not a lot to, to rave about now, at least. Um, they do bring back once, and the other thing they lost. Here's the crazy thing: they lost one guy, Brian Nordstrom, not to you know he declared not for um, football. He declared for the oil and gas industry. He took a six-figure job uh, working, you know, a job job, suit and tie job. So you know, Rice University is uh, a good institution in terms of academics. So don't forget that. Yep. But he, yep. he had another year of eligibility left, and he for for decided to forego it, thinking, you know, I'm a marginal. I mean, he's a really good rice football player. He's a marginal pro prospect, and right. you know, here's well, six there, figures. There's so. gold in in them there waters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ocean. Yes, exactly. Organic, tectonic plates. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, it's rice that people go to rice. You don't go to Rice to play football. People go to Rice to get education, to become doctors and lawyers and people who care about people. That's why people go to Rice. True. But play football on the it, side. You know, it's education. Right. With football, it's Texas. I mean, first of all, Texas. There's always going to be football in Texas. Yes, but I'm just saying that, that Rice is an institution where you have football, but you also have the education. That's for sure. And, and to David Bailiff's credit, Rice is no longer one of those, hey, you know, let's get them, you know, for our homecoming. I mean, they're no longer that guaranteed W. You know, that those years, those days are gone. I don't think those days are coming back. At least not while Bailiff is still there. Um, and they have a sort of soft schedule. They open with Wagner. No offense to Wagner, uh, but that's that's 
you know, should be a W. Texas, that'll be an interesting game, though I don't think they're going to win it. Uh, then they move to North Texas. That'll be a big game. I think they probably do win that game. Baylor, probably don't win that game. So that puts them at 2-2 uh, two and two going into the meat of their conference schedule. Then they have Western Kentucky, Florida Atlantic, Army, Louisiana Tech, UTEP, Southern Miss, UTSA, and Charlotte. So they end on a nice soft note. Um, so this is going to be a seven-win year. I don't think they get back quite to the, you know, the quite like last year. I don't think they get quite to eight wins, but I can see them being a six or seven-win team. Now, obviously, they don't bring back, like I said, some of their best, best, best dudes, but they do have some players. Who are some of the guys that maybe you are interested in seeing what happens with them this year at Rice, Jim? Well, they all graduated. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm serious, though. I mean, Jordan Taylor, gone. Um, Zach Pat, gone. You know, Nordstrom guy, gone. Um, Bryce Callahan, gone. So, it's not a yeah, not a lot of people. I mean, that right tackle that they have that, you know, and Caleb Williams might have a shot. You know, he might be that sort of, hey, I got a sleeper prospect for you, you know, type thing. But a sleeper prospect in that kind of, you know, something he might, he might make, he might not. Um, right, right. But um, that's about it, really. I mean, there's a lot of guys that are coming in that are younger guys, so it's not like they they just haven't really announced themselves yet, I guess, because they've been behind a bunch of seniors. So the the theory is that they might have all these guys come in and then they're pretty good. But for the most part, all the guys that I really like, they're they're gone. So they're on right. another team. They were drafted. They were um, in the oil industry. That's yes. He went he went pro in something other than sports, as they say. Yeah. Let me just say this as we move on to Southern Miss. At one point, Southern Miss was one of those programs on the rise. I mean, obviously, they had that nice little run. I still can't believe they fired. Um, I mean, it's been many years, but I still look back and I, I think, what were they thinking? Um, I don't know. Whatever. They People get fired. Coaches get fired. Um, no matter how many games they win. But I think they look back now and think maybe they're a little hasty in getting rid of, uh, oh, my gosh, oh, my poor brain. Um, God, he was there for so long. Um, Coach Favre, uh, oh, my gosh, I could see him, white hair, whatever. The point is that he had a lot of success, and then they had a couple of sort of shaky years, and then they decided we, we're better than this, and they haven't yeah, been quite – Thank you. Thank you, Jeff Bauer. Thank you. They haven't been quite back to that level since. <laughs> the Jeff Bauer, a couple of coaches since they have not reached the Jeff Bauer level. Now, Larry Fedora was able to parlay a couple of decent seasons into the UNC job, and, of course, this is a make-or-break year for him there at Carolina. Um, Tom Munkin, who is another one of those offensive whiz-bang, you know, air raid-type dudes, I think will eventually get the job done if he's given enough time. Uh, his first two seasons have not been super successful. He's now 4-20. and 20. 
and uh, he's got Chip Lindsay, who is his, you know, at least by name is the uh, offensive coordinator, though everyone kind of knows Tom Munkin is heavily involved still in the offense. And on the defensive side is David Duggan. Uh, last year was 3-9, and nine, and it sounds sort of funny to say it, it was a pretty good coaching job to get the three and nine. The cover was not well give it to put it in perspective, they had a dog fight win against Alcorn State. I saw that game. And if Alcorn State um played a played a cleaner, smarter, better game, they probably would have beaten them. But they sucked you know, they fought and scratched and, and scratched out a win. They managed to scratch out an even guttier win against Appalachian State. Once again, Appalachian State probably should have beaten them. Um, and the North Texas game was a, you know, not exactly an easy victory, but I mean they deserved that. That was that was the only game of the year in my mind where they were clearly the better team. In in the other two games they won, you know, like I said, the other team made some silly mistakes or you know didn't know how to close it out and let them let them win again. But I think they'll take a, at least a baby step forward. Uh, they were, you know, a, a cluster failed. I mean, 2012 going 0 and 12, and then 1 and 11 in 2013, and then 3 and 9 last year. So it's progressing. They might not be quite ready to break through and have a winning season or even a 500 season, but I think they might take that next step forward. After uh, that, 12 and 2 the year before. Oh yes. Well, I mean, said that's how Larry Fedora, you know, managed to be carried to the UNC job. Was you know everything was looking fantastic prior to that. Mississippi, Southern Mississippi, first of all, has to try to get the third-best kids, right? Once again, get the third-best kids out of your state because obviously Mississippi State and Ole Miss are getting the best and second-best kids often out of your state. Some of those best kids are leaving leaving the state. But they do have a junior college system, you know, Hines and Pearl River. They've got some decent junior college football, so that helps them a little bit. But the way this team sort of shakes out, they have one of those little, you know, quick little mini running backs in um, in Ido Smith or Ito. I mean, it's Ito. Ito Smith. They also have uh, Nick Mullins, who is one of those sort of, I mean, I guess game manager. I don't know. That's probably not an insulting way to put it. He's a lot like the quarterbacks at Oklahoma State, with the exception, once again, of the guy they have now. And, you know, <laughs> I mean, they usually don't have a, flamethrower at quarterback. They've had a couple of them. Whedon and the kid they have now at uh, Oklahoma State are sort of different. But usually the Oklahoma State quarterbacks are kids more like this this kid Mullins. Yeah, you know, game manager, point guard, whatever term you like. And they also have Tyler Matthews, who Monken was recruiting when he was at Oklahoma State. Matthews is familiar with the offense. It's, you know, obviously he spent some time at Oklahoma State, and he's a better runner. Um, came over from TCU. So we'll see, you know, we'll see what happens. We'll see, one, if he manages to become, you know, a serious threat to uh, to the guy at the top of the depth chart, Mullins, from last year. I don't think he will. Uh, they have Casey Martin. They have Michael Thomas. Uh, Michael Thomas is probably the most talented of their wide receivers. or Actually, one of the more talented receivers. Uh, DJ Johnson, James Cox also is part of the mix. Um, the offensive line, I won't say the coverage is there. That would be 
overstating it somewhat. Rashad Hill is a trash, but in a better situation, he wouldn't be your left tackle. I'll put it that way. And they used uh-huh. have great defenses. Uh, this, this, they do have one of the cool names. I'm not missing cool names. They do have a kid named uh, Picasso Nelson Jr., which is pretty cool. And he's a he's played both corner and safety. It's looking like he'll probably play safety this year. Um, so he'll probably be their free safety. Tony Jeter will probably be the strong safety. Uh, they have Colin Reed at uh, corner and also Cornell Alexander. Other guys worthy of mention. They have some other guys that have been in the mix there. Uh, Jacorius Cotton and Emmanuel Johnson uh, have, have moved on. So now they're they're young on defense for the most part. They've got Michael Smith, who's a senior. Will Freeman is a senior. Brian Anderson is a senior. And Reed. So they've got four seniors amongst their uh, amongst their starters on defense. The rest of them are, are juniors or less. Um, yeah, they've got to figure out a few things. And as always, or seems always, they do have some guys, skill position guys, because they're wide receivers particularly. So speaking of Southern Miss, Mr. Coburn, who are, who are some of the guys that you're excited about or interested in seeing make their mark this year? Um, none of them. Okay, there we go. Uh, this will be a sort I, of show-me uh, year for a lot of guys here. Not a good football team. So, and Rashad Hill, I know you said it's not trash. I'm not – I, I get what you mean by he's not trash, but he's not exactly. He's not a guy you want to tackle. No, I'm agreeing with you there. He should be doing something else. Yeah, but Southern, Southern Mississippi is not as good football. Yeah. Well, they, the, the issue for me is the trenches. When they were a really good football team, but people paid a lot of attention to their skill position talent, they had – really good offensive and defensive line play. And that's that's gone, at least recently. I'm trying to see how many wins they might scratch out. Okay, the City State, that's a loss. Austin P probably a win. Texas State, mm, mm. Um Wow. That could possibly be a win, but I wouldn't bet my life on it. Austin P is my alma mater. If you can't beat them, you don't belong <laughs> the colonels, if we're talking, is the colonels, right? Uh, governors. Governors, that's right. Good point. Thank you, I think it's governors. And, of course, a million years ago, back in the mid-70s, they had a great gunner, um, two-guard slash small forward named James Fly Williams. Fly Williams. And, of course, the chant throughout the Austin P. land was, the fly is open, let's go, P. Yeah. <laughs> fly Williams was a, fly Williams was a, was really good at basketball. <laughs> he, was was kind of a, he was kind of a bigger version of J.R. Smith. He's one of those guys who could shoot you mm-hmm. into or out of any game. Mm-hmm. He never met a shot he didn't like. Yeah, and at, the, at that point, I mean, yeah. It was Austin P. So they were gonna let Fly Williams take shot he wanted to take. Yeah, he he took a lot of he took a lot of shots. Um, you, you know, Southern Miss is Jamie Collins' alma mater. 
So, Jim, you're yep. telling me there are no Jamie Collins that's going to miss this year? Nope. Uh, well, Jamie <laughs> Collins is actually productive, you know. Um, <laughs> got a bunch of sacks and stuff like that. None of these guys have done that, so. Nope, that's true. And the question is, how much of that and big? He did everything. Right, that's the thing. Jimmy Collins was those guys that, you know, he forced fumbles, he covered fumbles, he had passes broken up, he intercepted. I mean, he did everything. He was. He's one of those guys, you look at how he produced on the field, and then you look at his combine numbers, and you're yeah. saying, how in the heck? Was he ever? Was he goes? Wasn't it Bill Belichick? I mean, sit there and uh, hypnotize the whole league. Happily, so then get all the way into the second round. The fifty second yep. pick. Yep. I mean, four or five matters. Yep. I told, told anybody. <laughs> I told anybody. <laughs> I told anybody. Really, no, I mean, the big the big debate with Jimmy Collins was. Yeah, people who were like, "Well, what is he?" Well, four, four and a half pass rushers. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, that's the whole. Again, it's coaches. Like, oh, mm-hmm. what does he do? Well, he's a pass rusher. Okay, but is he really? But is he like a spectacular pass rusher? Well, I mean, if you do certain things, okay. Well, what is he? Oh, he's a linebacker. Okay, so he's a pursuit linebacker. Well, no, he does a little bit of pass rushing too. So what is he? It's like he's Jamie Collins. That's what he is. So you go to you give him to Bill Belichick, what does he do? He's like, oh, this is my Adelius Thomas sort of guy and without character concerns. So that's what he was. That's what he always was in a way. Was that I sort mean, of pass rusher slash pursuit linebacker slash 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 guy? I mean, the, his, his broad jump was what? The, was the record for the combine until Byron Jones just – yeah, which I mean, here he was. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, for his size, I would say that for his size, his brother is much more impressive than Byron Jones. You know, because Byron agree. Jones is about two eleven, and Jimmy Collins is like two fifty ish. Yeah, so. Jimmy Collins. Jimmy Collins still holds the record with guys who are turning fifty pounds or close to it. I mean, well, Dupree's actually that guy, but you know. Oh well, yeah. Recently. Now, yes. Yeah. Recently, he's about two seventy. He's two two seventy. <laughs> <I know. laughs> and there are people still doubting that he. Well, whatever. <laughs> like, look, you give him to the. Oh, and he's in the right situation. Oh, geez. Well, I'm so happy about that. We're moving on. Oh, oh, well, see, Pittsburgh. Don't find a way to mess it up. Um. <laughs> they'll like turn him into a, a three tech or something. <laughs> Oh, I threw him inside. Oh, God. I just don't know if he has enough length. That's the big thing. His oh, average man. arm length. He has a, he has average arm length for a pass rusher. Like, literally, <laughs> average arm length. And he had everybody says he doesn't have length. So, whatever. You're just uh, nitpick, Jim. No, he's, he's pointing out what people say. That's not a Jim thing. He's pointing out that people are overreacting because his arm length is average. Average means you're just like most other people. That's fine. You worry when someone's an outlier. When somebody nails the average, you you usually don't worry too much. He's pointing out people freak out. People he's pointing out people freak out about length, and they shouldn't. It doesn't mean what you think it means, as they say. 
So that brings us to the University of Texas El Paso, where for, for many, many years they had Mike Price. Um, now they have Coach Kugler, who's now in his second season, or I guess Williams is third. He's been there two years now. And stands at 9-16. He's got Patrick Higgins, who this is the guy I think it is. I remember the wide receiver many years ago. And um, also has Scott Stoker as his D coordinator. I think they have the largest stadium in the conference, if that means anything. Um, but they they usually used to be a quarterback factory to some extent. I mean, usually those places where you find, you know, whether or not they were guys that hung around the league, they usually guys would be in the league for a little while. Trevor Vitito had a cup of coffee. Obviously, Jordan Palmer's still around. Now they need to sort of figure out their, their quarterback situation. They do bring back both Mac Leftwich and Garrett Simpson, uh, neither of which has thus far, you know, covered himself in glory. Mac Leftwich is the son of Spencer Leftwich, not related to um, Byron. But um, he registered last year, played a little bit in 2013. Also, Janelle Showers uh, obviously has moved on. So... Uh, they need to figure out their quarterback position. They do have an all two, in fact, all freshman uh, offensive guards on the in the conference in Darren Elmendorf and Will Hernandez. Uh, what else is worth mentioning? Oh, our Aaron Jones. Duh. Um, There's some pretty good running backs in the conference this year. Uh, I really like Aaron Jones. I if it weren't for Kenneth Dixon, I would be probably my favorite running back in the conference. But there is Kenneth Dixon. But Aaron Jones is another guy that that uh, you know gets the job done and isn't super flashy, but like I said, he's good. Um, defense is a mess, or at least has been. Uh, we'll see if that continues. I don't see a lot to get excited about on the defense side of the ball. Um. I guess in terms of you're looking for people to to like, um, Nick Usher isn't terrible. Um, Gino Bresson, actually, I think they they were less terrible last year than they've been in a long time. I guess Roy Robertson Harris is probably the guy who's the most interesting on their defense, and they have a really good kickoff returner. I mean, really good kickoff returner. Um, one of the more exciting and interesting players in the maybe in the country, uh, certainly in the conference. And Mr. Golden is a guy that I think already has six career kickoff returns for touchdowns in his career, and I think mm-hmm. he I think he only needs a couple more to hold the conference USA all-time record. Uh, let's see who else is worth mentioning. Uh, well, Aaron Jones is the guy that I feel pretty confident is draft is a, is a guy to be drafted. Oxy Golden is a guy that at least if he doesn't make a huge impact as a receiver, is a guy that people I think fall in love with his return ability, and he'll if not be drafted, be a prior undrafted free agent. And beyond that, there's no, nobody else I'm too sure about. But Jim, who are some of the guys that you or will be checking out for uh, the miners? And of course, there is. Actual mining activity in in the El Paso area. In case you're wondering, Jeff, we had an interesting little side note regarding the Charlotte 49ers for those who were early here earlier. But uh, who are some of the guys you're checking out at El Paso this year, Jeff? Well, 
they're mining underneath the border, you know, so that they <laughs> smuggle and, uh, you know, human trafficking, uh, um, drogos, drogos, as they say. Uh, now, like it, I should just take this moment to mention that the views and comments of Mr. James Coburn do not reflect those of this feeling of draft radio show. But yes, I don't approve. Hey, I, I, I don't do drugs myself. I'm just saying, if you're like El Paso miners, there's not a lot of stuff to mine there. I've been there a lot. I mean, I've, been, I've actually been to El Paso a ton, actually, because it's a drive. It's like the city you kind of drive through, I guess, on your way to California. But, um, but anyway, so El Paso, yeah. Uh, Aaron Jones, like you said, a pretty decent running back. And the other, Roy Robertson. There's probably somebody out there that, if you're one of those people who really like tall, kind of, you know, not, not necessarily fully formed guys, but guys, guys like project type guys, Robertson might be that guy. Hey, man, this kid was at LSU. People were trying to push him into the top two rounds of the draft. Well, it's funny, you know, he had three and a half sacks. That's probably how many he would have at LSU. So, you know, that's what I'm saying. People, that's all they needed at LSU for some reason, to, to get people excited. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, he's uh, again, he's, he's six foot six, six foot seven. Uh, I know that the Bengals, especially, would be a team that would go do the Gaga over that. So, um, again, he's a pro, he's a project player. To me, he needs to get a little better leverage too. That's a big thing because he is because he is tall. He needs to bend a little bit better, uh, play with kind of stronger hands, um, and obviously get to the quarterback a lot more. I mean, that will. That'd be pretty good if he could do that. Um, but, um, I mean, he's just the type of guy where he could develop him into, like, a number two guy if he really wanted, if he believed in that. Um, I'm not the biggest believer in that. He's a guy that probably be undrafted for ages on my board, but he's someone that I know a lot of teams might really like because of his size. Right. And, of course, uh, you know, with uh, Golden, there's all you know, there's always a special team uh, sort of uh, angle. So if a team really likes special teams, if there's a lot of teams that really like special teams, then he might end up getting drafted um, somewhere. I mean, the Raiders, right? They drafted uh, that one guy. Michael Edwards Jr. Who? He just with the second round pick. I think he's talking about the third round pick they spent on Michael. Uh, oh, gosh, no. There's Michael. Not to crop, um, that tight end Clyde Walford. That was a third. No, that, that was a tight end. Um, yeah, that's. No, no. Uh, the, I mean, the, the, when we're talking about the Raiders. Is, is Golden had any heart? He had any heart? He had any heart palpitations? Any brain bleed? I mean, he'd be a lot for the Raiders. If, you know, if he had any of those. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, we'll see. Uh, golden. Let's see. Air pollution in El Paso, maybe. There's, there's, there's. He might have black lungs. You know, minor. He might have black lungs. <laughs> but they'll sell Um, drug addiction, maybe, possibly. Oh. Nah. Nah. Reggie, Reggie likes the the, the real life threatening. <laughs> 
I mean, if a guy hasn't had a priest in there ready to give the last right, he's not Reggie McKenzie type of player. Does he have a type of player, really? <laughs> Other than old and uh, out of his prime? <laughs> and life-threatening heart condition or brain bleed or, you know, just, I mean, you know, just... Micro fracture. Well, you know, a micro fracture too. And he also likes players that, you know, might have been. Retired twice. How do you say it? Might have been a little too enthusiastic at the team buffet table in their careers, you know, just get those guys in there, slim them down. I like how we're just being down on Jim's Raiders. Yeah. So now we're going to move on to the University of Texas San Antonio. Uh, the Roadrunners of UTSA have let semi-legend uh, Larry Coker, fifth year, um, 23 and 23 in his time there, and 83 and 38 in his uh, total career as a coach. He has Kevin Brown and Neil Nethery amongst his uh, – and Neil Nethery is a guy that I think might be going places one day as his key coordinator. They had a real problem at quarterback last year. If they can straighten that out, they've got a shot. Um, Blake Bogenschultz is going to be the guy they're probably going to go with, and they've got Austin Robinson. Uh, so one's a freshman, one's a sophomore. So that's just, yeah, just how – They, 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 they have – they have Russell Bellamy. I couldn't beat out Devin Gardner yep. in four years. <laughs> yeah, well, right. Well, Bellamy is is likely to to be, you know, in the mix. Obviously, <laughs> uh, if so, he'll be an upgrade over anything they've ever had before, ever, ever, ever. Uh, period. Uh, but the excitement's mostly about defense. Uh, they have, though. I do also like Jarvion Williams. But they're going to roll out Drew Douglas, a guy that many people consider to be draftable. Um, a guy that I've been higher on probably than most is Bennett Okocha. And they've got Michael uh, Iguanagu at safety. They've got uh, Trevor Baker at the other corner. They've got some guys back there. So I would say Douglas uh, Iguanagu is probably coming back. He's a junior. But uh, Bennett Okocha is a guy that uh, has a shot. And, yeah, I mean, if Bellamy ends up making an impact, especially if it's a fairly significant impact early on, if they do figure out, you know, if Jarvion Williams has a big year or even a medium-sized year, if they could be, they could be a thorn in some size. Now, they open up pretty ridiculous <laughs> opening to the schedule. I don't know what they're trying to prove. I guess they're trying to prove they can go around the country and pick up checks. They open up with Arizona, and then from there they go to Kansas State, then Oklahoma State, then Colorado State. Then they begin their conference schedule with UTEP, Louisiana State, Southern Miss, North Texas, Old Dominion, Charlotte, Rice, and Middle Tennessee. If they can somehow fight their way to... If they can find a fifth win 
I would consider that an accomplishment. Uh, I'm seeing more like four, but who knows? I mean, like I said, if they can straighten out the mess they had at quarterback, that would be a big, a big deal for them. So, Jim, who are some of the guys? I mean, obviously, Bellamy is the biggest name on the team, so I thought he's never, you know, done anything there yet. But who are some of the guys that you'll be checking out this year for the Roadrunners down in San Antonio? Hmm. Yeah. I mean, all the guys that I really was enthusiastic about have already kind of left. Um, I have heard about uh, the one guy you were talking about um, a little bit. Are you talking about um, Douglas or, or a coach? Uh, a coach, again, coach hasn't done much, but I do see a little bit of what you're talking about. But he hasn't consistently done much. So, um, I mean, there's definitely, you know, stuff there, you know. But uh, I, man, this, this is a team that, I mean, I I think they could get the six one. And like you said, if the quarterback situation is fixed, which, hey, that says a lot. But if it is fixed, six wins is possible. They will start out 0-4, though. Yes. You know, or 0-5 which is always kind of tough to get the ship righted. But I think once they start hitting their conference schedule, they'll, uh, they'll go up against teams that aren't as bad as they are. So, uh, But who knows? They might, or they might be, like you said, four, four three-way team. So. I, could, I could see five even, but, yeah, I mean, they get to six. That's that's big time <laughs> when you look at that schedule. That's, that's going to be one of the – I bet that's one of the toughest schedules for a team that's not – Playing in top, with it power five or trivia, I'm scheduled with a tough schedule outside of the power five. Anybody for anybody? Yep. And so now that brings us to the magic time, where your friend and ours, Mr. Isaiah Fee, reveals to the world at large. 20 more players from his his current rankings. So, Mr. Fee, for those who are wondering, uh, where are you picking up and you were going to where in terms of your rankings? Well, will you come Yep. Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. Go ahead. Okay, uh, this is the top 100 players um, to watch this year coming in, from seniors, from guys coming in. Um, Right now, I'm currently at 89. Who, let's get it started with, Everett Goldston. Um, I said, I thought he once could be something, but um, he kind of regressed each year, since his first year. Um, I, don't, I don't think he sees the field well, but, um, and he's small enough where I don't think it's, I think it's going to be hard for him to see over his offensive line. I said Taj Boyd. It's comparison. Number 88, Miles Jack. Uh, one back in UCLA. Um, six foot one, 235. Tower speed. Um, physicality. Um, 
I said place where Monsters Season played. Um, I've heard it played by Thomas Davis or Shaq Thompson. Uh, I mean, he's small enough to fit that mold, but then yet yeah, I also find another comparison like a lower Von Miller. Um, number 87, uh, Derrick Henry, running back, Alabama, 6'1", 243, um, he has a rare size, speed, um, he sort of in that Larry Johnson, Steven Jackson mold, um, I said if they could at least only give them at least the ball a few hundred times, they should be fine. Number 86, Zach Sanchez. I said uh, he's a dominant corner that has dealt with some shoulder issues. Um, he, he has all the tools to be a sit-down corner, play, play press man, uh, and all that. I compared him to Sam Shields. I don't know about the whole technique thing, but he just sort of looks like Sam Shields when I... Yeah. Of course, I think you'll find there's an enormous speed difference between the two Sam yeah, Shields yeah. blazing, blazing fast, and Sanchez is more of a cover two kind of guy in terms of how he runs, but we'll we'll see how it all plays out. Number 85, Vernon Hargraves, uh, the third cornerback, Florida. 5'11", 195, an elite All-American um, player um, teams have stayed away from him so don't look at the numbers but you know the player uh, Jim help me with this comparison Marcus Trufant 2.0 number 84 Jim's favorite player Sean Oakman 68275 I put scary athleticism to begin with, a mid for a three-four scheme, um, but more likely a backup, which Jim talked me into it, um, without knowing how to use his leverage. Um, poor man, Mario Williams, we discussed before. Um, eighty-three, D-Force Buckner, defensive uh, lineman, Oregon, six-seven-two ninety. I said he's better than um, Eric Armstead, a lot better athlete uh, from his size standpoint. Um, he just reminds me a lot of Deion Jordan. Um, well, except for the almost 60-pound weight difference, but okay. <laughs> oh, it was well made. Um, number 82, Jalen Smith which uh, supposedly Daniel Jeremiah just made a comparison to him, to Patrick Willis, which is sort of crazy. Um, He had 112 tackles, um, 14 stops against USC. He moves extremely well uh, laterally. Poor man's natural set. I couldn't find another comparison for him. And then number 81, Shalik Calhoun. Defensive end, 6'5", 250. Michigan State's arguably best player. Um, um, 
125 tackles, um, eight sacks. Um, he is guaranteed to be a first-round pick um, as long as he stays healthy. <laughs> Number 80, uh, Derek Barnett. Defensive end, Tennessee. 63 268 20.5 tackles uh, and 10 sacks um Miles Garrett got more hype than he did but uh, he's probably a better player I put down. Um, he's also a lot better against the run than Miles Garrett was. I didn't have a comparison for him. Number 79, uh, it is Miles Garrett. 65-255, dynamic. Broke Jadavian Clowney's freshman record for stacks with 11.5. Um, double more than double on his team. I mean, his team didn't have even close to that. Um, number 78. I was actually hoping to move him a higher. Uh, Laquan Treadwell, wide receiver, Ole Miss. I said he's coming off a broken foot, but it's probably one of the more smooth polished wider series draft. Um great catch radius, uh some good footwork. Uh, my only thing was his deep speed. I didn't think he had a lot of it. Um Jim sorta of helped me he sort of cut some mold as Andre Johnson as Brian. A mold a kind of player. Seventy seven Rashid Higgins. Colorado State, uh, 6'2", 188. Um, ended with 1,750 yards, 17 touchdowns. A, um, I put a fast comparison, sort of like a Mike Wallace. He, he can take the top of the defense pretty darn fast. Um, what he needs to work on is learning more how to run more than one route. And moving to 76, Sammy Perton, running back Oklahoma, 5'11", 237. Uh, Perny set a single game rushing record, 427 against Kansas. Possesses uncanny power for a fast comparison, Adrian Peterson, just just for a little fun there. Um, Number 75, Delvin Cook, a six foot two of two running back. Uh, only had 170 carries for 1,008 yards, uh, 5.9 yards a carry, um, good vision. Um, some eight, uh, comparison, a Young Willis McGee, he wasn't all that fast, but he's a lot more fluid. 
74, Dak Prescott. Hmm. 6'2", 230, dual threat quarterback, um, having thrown for 3,449 yards, 27 touchdowns. He's, a, he's um, a good ground threat to 986 yards rushing. I compared him to Colin Kaepernick. But I'm much more better in the pocket. Um, nowhere, nowhere near as accurate, nowhere near as strong an arm, but okay. Oh. Um, number 73, Tyler Boyd. 6'2", 190. Uh, Pittsburgh. He's fast, fluid, uh, runs smooth routes, uh, runs four, I mean, front, runs low 4'4". Four, four. Comparison, he reminds me of Allen Robinson. Well, except Allen Robinson was a much bigger bodied kid, obviously. I don't know if this kid's ever going to break the 200 pound mark from the looks of it. Uh, so, any any concerns about the off the field stuff with Boyd? Yeah, that's why I sort of knocked him down a little bit. Okay. I mean, if it, were, if it wasn't for that, I may have had him at least maybe in the top 50. Yeah. And you seem to like these sort of spread, dual-threat running quarterbacks more than anyone else in the world does. You have <laughs> Golston and Prescott in the top That's 100. They're, <laughs> they're in the but, I mean, low 50. Yeah, I don't, I don't know anybody has them even, even as high as that. And you, But you've got Buckner, who we all agree is a better prospect than Armstead, but you've got him in the 80-somethings instead of in the teens. Well, I guess we'll explain it when you're done. Uh, keep going. <laughs> <laughs> My thing with that was uh, I was questioning a lot of his technique. A lot of it, um, he sort of seems, he, he seems like he has, like, one move only, you know, to stop the defender, really. But, um, yeah. Well, let me let me ask you this. How many moves did Ziggy Ansel have at BYU? And he's a better prospect than Ziggy. Moving on. I mean, so it seems like the NFL doesn't care about stuff like that. But go ahead. Keep going. (laughs) Jalen Smith was 80. Yeah, that was another shocker how low he had Jalen Smith. Yeah, I was a little shocked shocked about that, too. But he'll explain it, I'm sure, when he's all done. Keep going. Uh, Number 72, Darren Smith, Fresno State. Um. Going to be rated than Philip Thomas. Um, uh, he he's able to. You mean uh, Deron Smith? Yeah, Deron Smith, Fresno State. Oh, uh, he's already drafted though. Yeah, he's in the NFL. Yeah. Yeah, he's drafted by the Bengals. He plays for the Bengals. Um. Okay. Moving on. <laughs> um. Tight end. Evan Ingram, Ingram, Ole Miss, 6'3", uh, 278. Ingram might put up uh, better numbers at wide receiver. Being 6'3", he might change positions. Small man's Martellus Bennett. Number 70, I put Mike Williams, Clemson. Williams is the size and uh, the size that... Uh, 
pay attention to. He's big down the field. Um, I gave him a sort of a Plexico Burris comparison. Though he's a, I think he's a lot bigger than Plexico was. No, he's not a lot bigger than Plexico was. <laughs> Plexico was six six and two thirty two coming out of uh, Michigan State. Yeah, yeah. Uh, number sixty nine. Uh, I put. Wait, I'm going a little. More than, I'll just go to sixty five for now. Um, quarterback Justin Thomas, Georgia Tech. I said he lacks prototypical size, and he has passing talent. And passing talent um, has huge heart and playmaking ability. I said he better Seneca Wallace. Um, number sixty-eight, um, Gino Lewis. Six one two zero one, an athletic wide receiver with capable of making plays that turn into big plays. Uh, I said he has a, he has a low ceiling, also a low floor. I don't think he can get that much better than he is. This guy said uh, he's Jericho Cotri. Um, sixty-seven. Juju Smith, wide receiver USC, um, a lot of playmaking ability, dynamic ability has a he has a lot of top speed, um, special he could be a um, pretty big contributor on special teams. He's just quite explosive. Um, that was one of the hardest players they had. Uh, for a comparison, uh, Bill, what would you say for Jesus Smith? I've used various people. I've mentioned Chad Johnson. I mean, he's got a little bit of a slight, a little bit of quicker version of that kid Landry, a little bit from uh, LSU as well. He, the one knock on him is speed. He's not a blazer. He's probably going to time out somewhere around four five nine or somewhere in that range. But he's sorry. What was that, Jim? <laughs> I mean, he's not going to run like four four, but I think he's no, going to run slow four five. <laughs> I hope you're right. I hope you're right. He ran a I four seven one at, at he ran four seven one at a high school combine. So hopefully he's gotten faster. Yeah, since but then. Miles Garrett ran a five flat at a high school combine. That's also true. <laughs> That's also true. I'm questioning the testing numbers. I'm trying to get. I think I think he I think he'll right. run fine. You're probably right. I, ho- I think you're probably right. I hope you're probably right. I like I like the kid a lot, and I think he's going to have a like a bit of a fabulous career. Like, I mean, he like I said, you know, Ocho Cinco esque in a lot of ways, but I think he might have a you bigger know, than Ocho Cinco at the same point in the development. He's a big yeah. boy, a big boy. Yeah, well, yes. I don't seen him yes. recently. He's oh, I've seen him recently. He likes the weight room. <laughs> I've seen him recently. He's he's a, he's yoked up. He's yoked. Um, he, there's a lot to like right there. He's like maybe like a slower, wide version of Roddy White. You know, definitely Roddy White's good game too. That's another guy we like. Yeah. Uh, 66. I put Taylor Decker, offensive tackle, Ohio State. 
Uh, I thought he was a leader. Okay, he's a leader, you said? Yeah, he's the leader of the Ohio State offensive line. Um, he would have been a late first-round pick if he had come out. Um, if I think he's going back, you know, to improve his technique and probably win the national championship. Um, but yet again, I can't. I I don't evaluate offensive tackles as good as Jim does. Um, but that's why I don't have comparisons for a lot of these offensive lines. Um, last but not least for today, uh, Dolphus Washington, defensive tackle slash defensive end, Ohio State. Could be a difference making 3-4 and shutting off blockers and exploding to the backfield. And for comparison, Ty Warren, I put. Interesting. So you have him rated that much ahead of Buckner. I mean, they're similar guys. I mean, I don't. I don't it's yeah. not. It's not a crazy thing, I guess, to have him. Rated. I think he's. A, I think he's a better player than Buckner can be. I guess we'll we'll find out. I mean, I think they're like I said to me, they're very very similar. I I wouldn't have had them. I would have probably both of them higher than you have them, and would have had them closer together. But um, yeah. I guess the thing that struck me the strangest was how high you have, you know, Prescott and um, and Golson. I mean, Golson. Golson's only eighty nine. But if he doesn't play at all this year, how's he going to go eighty nine? I mean, that's pretty hard well, for a guy that might not be. Hold on a second here, Bill. Wait a minute, Bill. Florida State, their freshman guy just he basically punched himself out of a job. That's you know, true. And that's true. Uh, Sean McGuire is okay, but not necessarily phenomenal. So it That's seems good. like the Florida Red Seas are parting for Mr. Golson. <laughs> yeah, I guess things are breaking his way. It'll be interesting to see so if he, like he does win it. It'll be interesting to see if he wins the job, and if he, if he does win it, it'll be interesting to see if he holds on to it. That's, that'll be It'll be an interesting storyline. He better get off to a quick start. If he does win the job, he better not stumble. Oh, that, was one, that was the last guy? Yeah, yeah that I was last question. Yep. I had a hard time. Um, he's a little bit later on my list, but I have a hard time uh, rating Antoine Woods of USC. The defense really? tackle. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's a hard time. He sort of reminds me it's... of a little bit of Cinderic Marks in a way. So you see him as sort of your classic quick twitch three technique type? Is that what you see as future as? Yeah. Yeah, you could you could be right. I mean, I think he's probably not quite as quick as Marks, but I think he's probably a little stronger at the point of attack. But I could see him having a very nice NFL career. The the question with a guy like him is one, you know consistency, how bad is he wanted, is he going to play every snap? And that's the question you have about a lot of defensive tackles. It's sort of a classic defensive tackle question. You hear a lot of motor questions, runs hot and cold, blah, blah, blah. One is I hope he plays more snaps this year, and two, I hope he's more productive this year. I think Jim will probably have somewhat some similar questions. I, I don't know. What do you think of Woods, Jim? Uh, 
Um, right now he's kind of a, you know, day three, nose tackle um, prospect. So um, motor, eh, it's not really motor as much as, that's the thing, I, motor. He didn't get a lot of playing time, though, because of uh, Leonard Williams. Yeah, well, what does that say? Well, yeah, he wasn't better. Well, Leonard than Williams player. was the best player in the draft. Top ten, you know, somewhere around there. But even if Leonard Williams was in front of him, then there's other defensive tackle spots. Yeah, that's that's the point I would make too. Is that it wasn't just Leonard Williams keeping him from <laughs> getting the field. There were other guys. He'll need to show me some things this year for me to him as a, a guy who's going to go in the first three rounds. And just one more guy. Uh, I had a hard I had a hard time reading Jalen Mill. Uh, the free safety cornerback. Yeah. Well, he. I don't, looks, I don't right? know, Bill. You wanna you wanna, you wanna answer that? He looks the part. I mean, he looks the part. He's a class. I mean, he's one of those guys that. You know, Johnny Bravo scouting, right? I mean, if you want a guy who looks like an NFL safety, he looks like an NFL safety. He's got to do more just in terms of being productive, once again, in my mind. That's what blows my mind about LSU kids. LSU kids, I mean, a few of them are super productive, but most of them aren't. <laughs> you know, most of them, <laughs> with very few exceptions. I mean, obviously, they have, you know, they have a couple of wide receivers who were pretty darn productive a couple of years ago. But most of the LSU guys are not super productive. Their numbers are... Are not well, yeah. Impressive. Well, I mean, they they kind of herd them all into the into a room, and then you know some of them ride and some of them don't. So <laughs> you know they don't all become great players. So no. Some of them do. That's why we pay attention to them, but not all of them do. And with him, I mean, I I could name about five safeties that I take over. I mean, yeah, like yeah. John. David, Von Bell, Cash. Yep. Um, including the Middle Tennessee State. State I was going to say, we talked about one of them tonight. Yep, correct. Um, yeah, Smith. So unless he looks, does something spectacular. But, you know, right. the only the last LSU State, I believe, that was drafted was, uh, who was that guy? Um well, several LSU safeties have been drafted. It's just what happens well, in the Well, 2013, I know, but I was, that's what I was talking about. 2013, they, 2014, um, they drafted uh, Honey Badger. Second round. No, we're not talking about Honey Badger wasn't a safety at, at, at LSU. Um, we're talking about the kid that went in the second round. What was his name? Oh, my gosh. Big kid. I mean, fairly big. Oh, yeah. my gosh. <laughs> it's amazing how fast. Where did he go? Because, I mean, I'm trying to – but, yeah, he was basically never heard from again, practically. Um, not Minter. Minter was the linebacker. But same year as Minter's draft year. Um, yeah, oh he went gosh. to uh, – what was he? He went to Senior Bowl. Yep. I know you're talking – I mean, yeah. exactly. He wore number 30 in college, if that helps. Craig Lawson. Craig Lawson. There yeah. we go. Craig Lawson. Thank you. Thank you. There we go. <laughs> yes. Yep. Okay. Exactly. And there was, a, there was one running back had a hard time with Darren Johnson Marshall. Well, we talked about him earlier today. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we talked about a little bit. Yeah. He's, he's, a, he's, a, he's a decent running back. He's not the best running back even in that conference, though, but he's a decent running back. 
He had him in the 50s. Really? Yeah. He, he's not even the best running back in the conference USA. So where do you have Aaron no. Smith, I wonder? Where do you have Ken Dixon? Ezekiel though? Elliott is my top running back. All right, that's and cool. Then the, and the yeah. next one would be the Florida State case. I mean, not Florida State. Um, Georgia. Or Georgia. Oh, you mean Nick Chubb? Nick Chubb, yeah. yeah. Oh, right. That's Yeah, Nick Chubb's super sexy. Yeah, <laughs> Samaj Perrine, all those guys. A lot of those, there's a great sophomore class of running backs this year. Um, one question. I'm, I had a hard time rating TCU's quarterback since I can't, uh, you know, I can't uh, really predict him into the pros from that spread system that they run at T- TCU. Well, I mean, it's the same system they run at Texas A&M pretty much. It's the same system they run a lot of places. It's not it's not that unusual. It's one of the most common systems you see now in college football. That particular offense is pretty widespread. Pretty <laughs> right. universal, yeah. <laughs> so so if you're evaluating almost any college quarterback, you're probably looking at a similar offense with the exception of, what, Michigan State, Stanford, you know, <laughs> I mean, there's a handful that don't fall into that category. USC is kind of a hybrid now, but they, they're no longer a pure pro-style offense anymore. I mean, there's that offense is the offense you're seeing now, Isaiah, so it's not unusual. You know, it's not like 20 years ago when most teams were, or a lot of teams were, you know, I-form, pro-set, whatever. That's, that's very rare now. So if you can't evaluate guys in that system, you can evaluate college quarterbacks. That's what most guys are playing in. Um, what I, an early sort of man crush I have a little on, on these players so far I've been watching, Josh Dawson, wide receiver of TCU. Yeah, we talked about him on the Big 12 show. Um, the only question is if he's even the best wide receiver on that team. They've got some nice wide receiver pieces on well, that he's their favorite team. Target, so I would presume. But it doesn't always translate that way. I mean, Tommy Schuler was the favorite target at Marshall, and, you know, was he the best wide receiver on that team? I mean, not the best pro prospect at wide receiver on that team, certainly. Best um, wide receiver is always the best, the favorite target. Because the quarterback's always right, like the customer's always right. <laughs> I guess that's one way of looking at it. That's one way of looking at it. <laughs> no, Josh Dotson, uh, I mean, he's, I mean, I said Pan and Doss or like a mixture yeah. Ken and Doss and um like Muhammad Sanu kinda. Yeah. A little bit. Yeah. A little bit. Not quite as well physically powerful, but somewhat similar, yeah. I have ducks in one spot right behind Ricky Seals Jones. Okay. I just sort of have sure. a man crush on Ricky Seals Jones. Hello. Yeah, you've played that Make that clear, yeah. It's not a little crush. It's a big one. You you have a deep and abiding passion for him. Hey, just like my crush on Dick Beasley and Carlos Williams that you'd like to please shot down. No, I mean, I'm not shooting it down. I think Ricky Seals Jones is going to be... And we were kind of right about Carlos Williams, right, Bill? I mean... Yeah, well, obviously. <laughs> I mean... Um, I mean, he, hey, he's just not... He just has no instincts for the position. Williams, if you love Carlos Williams, check out Jack Lee Smith. So exactly, I I, right. I, I, found, I found your next day, as they like to say. Exactly. 
<laughs> yeah, unfortunately, if you just lack vision and instincts, doesn't mean you're not a great athlete. He's a great athlete. It just means he's just not going to be great at that position because he, he doesn't see where he's a great offensive line. And somebody to at a seeing eye dog or something to run a, to guide him. But here it is over here, you know, something like that. That poor kid. I mean, he was a terrific safety. I still wish that they let him. Yeah, play safety, you no know, little linebacker, but yeah, yeah. Florida, Florida State, for some reason, um, some of their guys they kind of don't know what to do with them, and then they just okay. kind of go, yeah. "What do you want to do?" <laughs> and they go, um, "You know, I've always wanted to be a running back." Oh, okay. All right, let's go for my running back. <laughs> Oh God! Oh yeah, they've kind of punted on that one. Apparently, I mean, they just got no vision. All right, okay, I'll, I won't tell them. What do you guys think of uh, Sheldon Ray? I mean, Sheldon Day. Yeah, I Sheldon think Day. Uh, Notre Dame defensive tackle. Yeah, yeah, I know um, who Sheldon Day is. <laughs> Sheldon Ray, it's like a hybrid of Shane Ray. Hybrid combination, exactly. <laughs> a horrible mashup. experiment. A, yeah, the kids call that a mashup, dude. I know he's undersized at 6'2". More like 6'1", but don't tell anybody. Right. <laughs> yeah, um, uh, he might get Michael Bennett love, but maybe not. Which Michael Bennett, the one that fell to his sixth round? Yeah, that guy. That wasn't a lot of love right there. Well, I mean, he's the guy that probably should have won in day two. I mean, I don't know why he fell that far. I know there might have been some character stuff. I don't don't really know why he fell that far, but or injuries or something. But, I mean, I think think when I look at day, I I see sort of a three-tech kind of guy. He's a little undersized. You want him in a 4-3 front. Hasn't really been a dominant player yet, but he has another year. Right. And the other one was uh, Kyle Carson, the uh, tight end. Oh, what, what, what was the question? What about him? Uh, I had a hard time. For some reason, he reminded me of Britton Selleck, but just his blocking skills. Like, he's not, Selleck is not receiving that. He is. Well, no one cares about blocking anymore, unfortunately. I mean, I still kind of harbor a concern about guys who so don't really like the block. But they're trying to get uh, Jimmy Graham to block. Yeah, well, good luck with that. The so my rankings at the tight end position still look very different from some people's because I still kind of sort of care about blocking, but. Most people have kind of given up on it. Like, you had Evan Ingram. Like, Evan Ingram, you know, no one cares that he can't block. and uh, Or, I say can't block. Let me well, rephrase the question. He can block. I have he just can't. 10%. 10% of my tight end film grade is blocked. So. I grade on blocking because because if you can't block, you're going to be taken off the field. Someone who can. If you catch the football really well. <laughs> exactly. Well, let's take Jimmy Graham off the field for somebody who could block. That happens. I mean, he means like short yardage 
you know, like oh. third and third and third and one, that kind of stuff. Or the tight end, the tight end position, the tight end position is increasingly becoming who can catch the football the fastest, and who's the bigger mismatch, and who's the bigger like that's what it's become now. So blocking isn't necessarily depending on the team that you're on. A team like Seattle, they want you to block. A team like San Francisco, they want you to block. A team that runs the football, they want you to block. Most other teams, they're okay with you just shielding guys. You know? Yes. That's, that's, that's Which position. It's really not hard to teach. I mean, the art of shielding you, people. You just have to, you have, you have to have the want to. Yeah, I mean, well, hey, like anything else, like tackling. You have to want to tackle. Yep. If you want to tackle, you'll become a good tackler. If you have the wants and the, the will to do it, you'll you'll become a good tackler. If you don't want to tackle, you'll, you'll never be a good tackler. So same thing with blocking. you got to get a little dirty. you gotta got to get a little, you know, got a little dirt in your fingernails, you know. Right. And that's, that's what it comes down to is, one, is as the guys become, you know, less physically imposing. I mean, there's still some big guys, but, but you know, you look how high you have Evan Ingram. You know, there's a lot of guys that... Well, he's over the Alabama at, kid. I have him. Oh, you have him over Richie Howard? Yeah, well, that, yeah. that will set you apart. But my point is that look at where a guy like, you know, Shannon Sharp, now obviously he's coming from Savannah State, but look at where a guy like that was selected in his era. There were always concerns about his size and, you know, what is he? how would you call him? You know, I mean, I, 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 the fact that Shannon Sharp even existed is surprising. You know, back then, there's there'd be people like you're tight end, and I can't really put you in line. Well, it was the, it was a testament to the vision. In part, it was a testament to the vision of, of Dan Dan Reeves, right? Who yeah. took a shot on him, and then you know he really blossomed under Shanahan. But Reeves was the one that said, "Yeah, you know, let's." see what this kid can be. Think of, um, I mean, think of Todd Christensen, too. He was another guy that kind of suffered from that a little bit. Yeah, bo- born know. too early. Born too early. Yeah. <laughs> he's a, if he's born nowadays, he's a Hall of Famer. Yeah. He still had a really good career, you know? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 good career. Um, I mean, Ingram over O.J. Howard, I get it because Ingram's actually done stuff, you know? Yep. Yep. OJ Howard, had that one, OJ Howard had that one play where he outran the LSU defense, and that was about it. And that yeah, that's my that I didn't see a lot of OJ Howard actually stepping up, really. He didn't make a lot of plays like uh, Christensen did. Well, now a lot of that is also due to, I mean, Kiffin, and I, I'm, I'm a Kiffin defender, but he does like, you know, I won't say forcing the ball to his favorite guy, but he likes creating he opportunities. Even if he wasn't even open. Yeah, well, that's my point. Is he likes to create opportunities for whoever he feels like is his best. Very love. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So if you're my best target, you're going to see the ball no matter what else is happening. <laughs> yeah, that's his thing. That's what he does. And O.J. Howard might be that guy this year. So this might be a big year for Mr. Howard. He might get to or, be that guy. Or it might not be. <laughs> also possible as well. I mean, but you have to understand, O.J. Howard could be a guy 
that doesn't do anything at all, goes in the fourth round, has some sort of Jordan Cameron-like season. You know, that could happen. That could be his career, sort of. Who? But, you know, Jordan Cameron. Oh. Uh-oh. Tied in for the Browns yeah. and how he's on the Dolphins. Right. Right. Younger so brother. Saying, Colby, so you're saying he's going to have the contestants, too. No, I'm just kidding. Well, might, I think the main – Might happen. Well, if you ever get the chance – if he ever hits him, I mean, other than in practice, I guess he could sit there. But he's – you know, this will be a big year for him. And, you know, we've been hearing about him and hearing about him and seeing little tiny little flashes and glimpses. This will be, you know, essentially the, the year of decision where we'll find out if this is, if this is you know, something more than a mirage. And that's, that's kind of what he's been so far. Well, Jim, he, I was just, just going to say he was saying sort of like Jordan Cameron, but Jordan Cameron's the closest thing we've seen to Tony Gonzalez. Would you agree with that? He's the closest thing there is to one right now. Um, sort of. Okay. I mean, he's the most athletic tight end in the NFL right now, um, but that doesn't necessarily mean he's the best. Right. Because though Tony Gonzalez did play both sports, he was pretty darn productive at Cal. He wasn't some forgotten, you know, practice player like Jordan Cameron was at USC, you know, who was never above third on the depth chart. You know, I mean, Blake Ailes was higher on the depth chart. Uh, Chase Ford was higher on the depth chart than he was in his days at, at uh, yeah. um, USC. I mean, he was way down that death chart most of his time there. So Tony Tony Gonzalez was a well-coached, pretty polished guy coming out of town who had seen a lot of football and done a lot of stuff on the field. In Cameron, you have this guy who, you know, originally was a basketball player and, you know, was buried on the depth chart at football. He's, you know, the Matt Castle of tight ends. He you know, it was all speculation as to what this guy might be. Yeah. I mean, he had all the physical tools. Um, yeah, you could say that, yeah. To be, a, you know, at least tight end. And he hasn't been that partially because of, well, he never really was that in college. But two, because, you know, the learning curve and stuff like that. Um, and also the concussion and the injury. Yeah, you know, pe- people make too much about quarterbacks. If you're a good player, you're going to get football. So, yep. Um, and they fed him the football when he was healthy. Yeah. yeah, when he was healthy. But he's had health issues, stuff like that. But the tight end position, what's so odd about it, though, I guess is the last thing I'll say about it is it's a position where if you do have the physical, like if you are six foot five and you have 35-inch arms where arms kind of matter a little bit more at tight end um, and you're big and you're fast, those guys, the lottery does pay off, you know. Yeah, even yeah. if you weren't, even if you weren't really that productive, as we've seen in guys like Gates and Jimmy Graham and Jordan Cameron, too, you know, lesser Um, is this tight end class better than last year? Yep. Yes. Safety class is better. The tight end class is better. The wide receiver class is pretty close. I think, think this wide receiver class also could rival uh, the same Watkins class, 2014. 
I think it's going to be a good wide receiver class, but I, we're always going to have a good wide receiver class, like I said. From now on, yeah. He, I, he went I, I, on Austin to the world. To the end of time. Yeah, but I think that's an anomaly. I don't know. At least the last two draft classes. We had the greatest of all time wide receiver classes, and then we had this other class where, you know, we had good, we had guys who easily could have been the fourth or fifth wide receiver taken in that class, 2014 class. So. Who do you think was the best wide receiver take in the 2013? I, either, I say Keenan Allen or either DeAndre Hopkins. Um, probably Hopkins. That was a pretty darn bad class, though. Compared to these ones. Well, it, I don't really think it was a bad class. I think teams took too many projects. Yep. You know, Agreed. I mean, Kurt Patterson was always a project. He was never really supposed to be a first-round pick. He's always supposed to be sort of a day two pick or day three pick. So, but they decided to take him because, hey, it's really cheap. Money's cheap now, as I said. Though, remember? Right, right. We talked about so, that, and also, and also, they had lost, you know, their their original Percy Harvin, and they said, well, yeah. this time we can get we can get one that's big enough to stay healthy. Look, another Percy Harvin, but this one's big enough to stay healthy. That was part of that thought process too. It's yeah. oh, all the things you loved about Percy Harvin, but bigger. And on special teams, he kind of gave you, you know, similar Same stuff. Percy Harvin, yeah, correct. Except for wide receiving. Except for the wide receiving, yes. Except for that part. But he gave him the other part. Um, Austin, Austin was a guy that, you know, one, he had physical, I mean, his explosive lower body training score was really bad, guys. It was like 10 percentile. Um terms of lower body strength. Uh, he's very fast, very quick, but he wasn't very powerful. And he also wasn't the most productive. I mean, he was very productive, but I'm talking market share wise. You know, he was like 30% market share at West right. Virginia, which is kind yeah. of, yeah, like right. on the line. Right, it's your catch with Bailey and um, what was the other kid's name? The third Um. The other kid wasn't bad. Yeah. The was yeah, they had Stedman Bailey and they had um, another kid, the tall, taller, the only one who's close to six feet tall. <laughs> oh, uh, one I thought. No, it's not him. He wore like a quarterback. I guess they all wore like quarterback's numbers. They didn't right. have any guys who wore normal wide receiver numbers. I don't know either, but I think about it. Um. Bailey was like five ten, and you know what's things like five eight and change. But there was one kid who was like close to six feet, or might have been right at might have been right at six feet. He was the clinical big receiver, <laughs> at least for their group. Starks, yeah. something Starks. Um, you know, what I'm talking about now something Starks. Starks. What year was Starks? This? The same year. Um, he was related on, to the. I... Uh, this kid was related to the um, corner. J.D. Woods? Oh, they had him too. I forgot about Woods. Woods was even taller. But they had another kid named something Starks. Dwayne? Not Dwayne. No, he was related to Dwayne Starks. He was related to the corner from Miami, Dwayne Starks. But it was something else. But it was, they, had, they had about four or five receivers that you saw at various points. Oh, Brad, which, Brad Starks. 
Bradley, thank you. Yes, Dwayne Stark's cousin, I believe. Well, I mean, the basic point to make is that in that particular draft class, Kings decided to – well, they took guards really early. Um, the reason yep. why was because they felt like the money was worth it for an elite guard, which they weren't elite, but, I mean, you know. They also had in the first round that year. Yeah. Travis Frederick. Oh, yeah, center. He's not really an elite center. He's a very good center, but he's not an elite. Um, and he, for the money, I mean, the way they looked at it was because of the prices, because of the CBA, it reduced the, the salary you had to give out. Thus, they don't look at it as, hey, we're paying a, a guy starting guard money, so it doesn't matter if we take him in the first round because we're not overpaying. You know, like if you had drafted – Chance Wormack in the top 10 back in 2010, you would be paying him way above what normally what guards make. But because it was after the CBA, you were paying him pretty much on the level of what most guards make. Same thing with quarterbacks, too. Right. You're basically paying, I mean, it, you might go, well, if you bust on him, that's bad, true, but you're only paying him like high end backup money, you know? So. So, like, Jake Locker was bad, but you're paying him about as much as a backup, a high-end backup would be making. Right. Versus that is $20 million a year. Yeah. So, you look at it that way, cap-wise, you're like, well, if he ends up being a high-end backup, are we losing money? Hmm. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah that's that's how things look at it. I mean, that's how I don't agree with this. I always believe in, you know, getting the talent. It's going to be the better talent. <laughs> but that's what teams are doing now. Is they're okay with taking projects because they feel like the risk is worth the reward, you know. I could end up getting, well, like Russell Wilson, that was the best example. You, you basically got uh, a starting quarterback and you ended up paying him $500,000 a year, which is really good, <laughs> you know, in terms of how much advantage you have cap-wise because of that. You know, and I understand the the rationale. I just, I guess sometimes it it bothers me to see. I mean, I guess I come from the whole maximizing your draft value place, and I guess that's no longer important. I guess is what I, the lesson I'm learning. Well, sure, it's part of it. Stuff. It's part of it, but I mean, that, that's all they really care. I mean, if you watch any YouTube video of GMs and they always talk about percentages and you know the success rate in the first round is this percent or the success rate, like they pay attention. To that stuff. You know, a lot more than we do. So, sure. In a way, they do that. But then I always think to myself, yeah, but those those success rates were from previous draft classes, where you didn't have the same you didn't have the same dynamic. You know, so like that was old CBA. That was a success right. rate under old CBA. The new CBA, the success rate is probably different. Correct. And then and then their own perceptions, you know, you talk about confidence and values, but their own perceptions greatly influence that because if you're convinced that you have to take 
a quarterback in the first round in order for him to be good, then you're always going to take quarterbacks in the first round. And exactly, the success yeah. rate for quarterbacks in the first round goes up because you're taking them in the first round all the time. Which is what happened with the running back position. We can't take him in the first round, so all the good running backs end up going in the second and third round. Yeah, not all of them, but I mean, but at least the ones you don't meet all the traits because the NFL, like anything else, if, if there's a six foot one, two hundred thirty pound running back that shows up, the NFL's going to draft him. But if they aren't that, if they're a little, you know, Jamal Charles got knocked for being a little smaller, right? You know, um, Sean McCoy is too skinny. You know, Demarco Murray was too, uh, you know, had little. three injuries. Yeah. So, um, I have one thing. You were you just talked about Sean McCoy. Everybody was knocked in the season, but the guy was third in rushing in the NFL. Oh. Everybody's like, Lashawn McCoy. Everybody's like, oh, he had a bad season. He was third in rushing. Like, are you kidding me? Well, well, you're you're not looking at what fantasy touchdowns. No, that's not what. No, that's not what. That's not what Chip Kelly is looking at. Chip Kelly is looking at how many times you lost yardage. Um, Chip Kelly hates when you well, lose yardage. I'm not looking at what Chip Kelly is looking at. I'm looking at everybody, how they're saying, oh, he was so bad last year. He was third in the NFL in rushing. Yeah. He just didn't score you your fantasy touchdown, so back off. Well, yeah, but that's, like I said, that's not what NFL people care about. Um, Chip wants you to go where the play is designed to go. And that's not something that you always get by stressing message from LeSean McCoy. He's LeSean a freelancer. Like, he'd like to um, improvise. Yes, he does. Yeah. Chip Kelly doesn't like that. Chip Kelly has told you he doesn't like that. Chip Kelly told LeSean he doesn't like that. LeSean mm-hmm. said, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll see what I can do about that shit. But I'll try to, I'll work on that or whatever LeSean said. And LeSean went out and, you know, he did what he does. And he's good at it. Yeah, yeah. You and I agree on that. Chip Kelly doesn't like it. Chip Kelly is the guy that makes the call. And he said, let's get rid of this guy. He doesn't do what I want him to do. Get out of here. I'll get me another running back who will do what I tell him to do. You no, know and I'll get two running backs just in case. That yeah, way we'll, if I have we'll to get rid of one of them. <laughs> Which why he got two of them. See? We'll be both down in week six. He'll be he'll be well provisioned. He'll find somebody. He has Darren Sproles to fit behind him. He's got Darren yeah, Sproles. Darn. Yeah, Darren yeah, Sproles. Yeah, Barner right behind him. Yep. Yep. Of course, of course, Kenyon Barner. It's only a matter of time, so I'm sure he gets he finds Michael James somewhere too. Well, Michael James is in Miami. He was going to go to Philly. He was scheduled on a visit, but then Miami resigned him. So there would have been another uh, Oregon player going to Chip Kelly. Yep. Yeah, well, yep. Chip likes what Chip's like, and Chip does not like what Chip does not like. So, got well, I've said this. I've said this plenty of times. I don't think Chip Kelly's long for the NFL. I think he's probably going to end up kind of going back to Oregon or somewhere soon. I just don't think he's fit for the NFL. Well, either his way or the highway. 
And that's just not how things work to me. And I fell and soon going to realize it. Well, yeah, when you... that's not necessarily true. Uh, many teams are my way to the highway sort of situation. Not every team has to be nice to their players. So, I mean, Chip Kelly has his own thing. As far as your criticism of Chip Kelly, I mean, sure, they're criticisms, but we'll see what happens this year. Honestly, if they don't, if they go 4-12, and 12, sure, he might be fired. Oh, yeah. You know? Yeah. But if they win the division or are somewhat competitive most of the year, then he'll keep it shot. So, he's gotten really into, especially speed metrics, that's the main thing. He's gotten really into speed measures. You're going to win it with scheme on offense and uh, on defense, really. Yeah, well, kind of. Athletes on defense. But. but if you look at most of the players Chip Kelly's brought in, they mostly been guys that had better um, speed scores. So, especially running yeah, like Marker Murray, yep. Ryan Matthews, all good speed scores. Sean McCoy, eh, not so much. Doesn't mean that you're a bad running back. It's just that he decided that he wants speed versus, uh, you know, elite running back play, I guess. We were talking about running backs. Um, <laughs> Jamal Charles, I was surprised with his total rushing yards. He had only like 1,053, I think it was. Seemed like he had a whole lot more with all those 100-plus-yard games and all that? So, well, so the offensive line took a, you know, the offensive line kind of took a, a backseat a little bit. Well, he bounced back, though, too, later in the year. But I was surprised with this total. I thought he would have a lot more yards, though. Right. And well, even though his... He still averaged a uh, 5.5 yards to carry, better than Jim Brown was. But um, anyways, I'm talking about carry wipes. Uh, since I'm talking about the Chiefs, uh, the backup now is Davis comparing himself to Jamal Charles. That's somewhat laughable, right? Okay, so you're comparing who to Jamal Charles? Niall Davis compared himself to Jamal. Oh, Niall Davis. Oh, Niall Davis. Okay. Well, Niall Davis is a big, fast guy. He's close to being he like a Christian. He's more like a Christian Michael type than he is like a, like a Jamal Charles type. And he's, he, he's friends with, and he's friends with Jamal Charles, so he could say that Jamal Charles could be like, oh, yeah, yeah, sure, sure. Absolutely. You go now, Davis. He was complaining that he wasn't getting the carries of Jamal. It's like, really? You're behind a great running back. Bide your time and find your opportunities when you can. It's just like, pipe down now, David. Okay. Miles Davis has some talent, and he's a a powerful back. What's the play? And with the Chiefs, um, do you think Thomas is now listed as a wide receiver? They switched yep. him. How do you think he that's pro- going to fare out? Well, you know what? 
his best position, and I've talked to people who've coached him. My friend uh, Rennie McDavid coached okay. him in man. My my friend Rennie McDavid coached him in uh, uh, what do you call it, youth league, and also high school in an all star game in Los Angeles. And his best position was as a cornerback, and he probably should have played corner. Um, he probably would have had a longer and better pro career playing corner, but it's probably too late in the game, I guess, for that. Sure, why not wide receiver? He's not super amazing at catching the football, but I guess, you know, he'll figure something out. He's okay. I think that's one thing that really wanted in this game. Maybe not. Who knows? Yeah. Honestly, wide receiver-wise, I mean, he has to compete with Robert Wilson, who is a real wide receiver. And I'll to compete with uh, Chris Conley, who's also a wide receiver. I didn't watch too much of Chris Conley. Uh, can you tell me a little bit about him, Jim? Um, kind of like a poor man's Randy Moss. You know, tall, thin, um, but has speed that, honestly, he's on pace. He eats up a ton of cushion in a hurry. He just doesn't know how to use it that well. Correct. You know, right. he, hasn't, he hasn't mastered the use of his speed. Um, well, he can do something. He's not going to need it because Alex Smith is not going to throw downfield. That's true. He's going to throw eight um, yards. But, but Aaron Murray will. Well, he's right behind Chief Daniel. I know, but deep down in the dark underbelly of Andy Reid, there's this burning desire to make Aaron Murray the quarterback there. So. And Tyler Bray's ahead of him, I think, though so he's injured. Yeah, but Tyler Bray's back <laughs> Let me tell you a little something about Tyler Bray. He will never be an NFL starter. It would, it would take something like a bus. Crashing into a All plane. Oh, the quarterback's down it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> It'd be like Alex How Smith and all, all the quarterbacks. He didn't do anything. How did he turn his ACL? Oh, you mean Tyler Bray? Yeah. Um, you know who we're talking about? We're talking about Tyler Bray. You yeah, actually, that. You, you do realize we're talking about Tyler Bray, don't you? He could tear his ACL in many different ways. Hanging out cars. <laughs> No. Drinking beer upside down off a balcony. <laughs> yeah, I was I was shocked that he stopped. Practicing parkour at Disneyland. <laughs> right, exactly. I was a little taken aback that he stuck with that particular organization. Well, he likes Andy And plus, Andy Reid, I mean, that's the funny thing about Andy Reid is he diversified his quarterback type. He used he to sure be did. purely, purely, he used to be like a purely six foot one, six foot two, two hundred and twenty pound kind of guy. Super quick footage, right? Right, right, right. You know, Brett Farvish type. Now he can, he's okay with the six foot six, six foot five, tall, lanky guy. You know, Nick Foles. With slow feet. <laughs> Right, with slow feet, Tyler Bray. So he's diversified. Also, I don't think all those quarterbacks is going to be there in the next 
few years. Like what he'd like to do is show him off in a game and eventually trade him and get some picks for it. He did that with AJ Feely. Um, they still made some good money off. I mean, not good money, but uh, good picks off. Yeah, I guess you got the You got good value. You got good value, right? And that's the smart thing to do. You know, Bill Belichick. Bill Belichick's done some things like that. I mean, yes, he's. It's like who's the quarterback I'm going to sucker somebody into getting super excited about this year. He just showcased them and get some trade and get some paid the big bucks and get you know. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you think is Albert, Albert Wilson, uh, Bill? Ah, ha, ha, ha. Actually, the person you really should ask is Jim. Jim's a huge Albert Wilson fan. I know. That's why I asked you. He's a good player. Has a chance to be better than... He should be He should be higher on the depth chart. That much I can tell you. Um. I, we still don't know what he is at the NFL level because he has yet to play enough. But does he have potential to be better than a lot of the guys they have out there? Yes. I think better than Jason Novant. Yeah. He's actually started. Well, he's something should be more he's more explosive and should be more productive because he can do things after he catches the ball and Jason Novant cannot. But he has to win the trust of coaches. And that's not always an easy thing to do. Coaches have to yeah. trust the guys they already trust and go with the guys they already know. Okay, one yeah, more. Great. Junior Hemingway. Yeah. Yeah. Great athlete, but kind of he's kind of like Kelvin Benjamin if he was smaller. You know, not, not as like he's a big body wide receiver, but he doesn't catch the football as well, and his routes aren't exactly special either. Right. Can't that be fixed coaching, though? Well, been in the NFL for, like, what, three years now? When is the coaching going to take? Well, it's a very on the depth chart, though, behind the terrible Dwayne Bowe. Hmm. Yeah, another athletic non He was behind A.J. Jenkins. Yeah, behind... another athletic non football. <laughs> Which he was on the Jets, and now he's on the Cowboys. Yeah, AJ Jenkins. Yeah. Oh. Well, I mean, AJ Jenkins is always, as we said, project player. The team decided to take him early, and they got what they got. How bad was that trade, though, for both sides? The Niners and the Chiefs. You mean AJ Jenkins for uh Yeah. For the Pittsburgh wide receiver? Yeah. Uh I don't think it was that bad. Well neither of them are really playing. The other one's on the street. Exactly. So it was a nobody really won or lost. They all they were both gonna eventually cut them eventually, so they decided to trade because they could get some value. Okay, my question is who do you think picked up the phone first for that trade? Wait, what? Who picked up the phone first for that trade? Jim Harbaugh and Andy Reid said, Hey, you are my guy? Um probably Jim Harbaugh. 
Right. Yeah, Jim Harbaugh is already trying to push out. Did you hear about that story, Bill, about him trying to push out that poor little nose tackle? Yeah. <laughs> Michigan. He's like, they don't want me here. I want to finish what I started. Well, yes, he's offered He's offered to help him transfer to another institution where it might be more comfortable or what have you. Pretty juicy story, though, because they're talking about how the, the, the health staff was like, oh, you have some arthritis here, and then it turned into you're not going to play anymore. <laughs> you know, like immediately. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, some arthritis, which in Alabama is, you can play to yes. some arthritis <laughs> equals no more future play. You know, like you cannot play in the future ever again. So bad arthritis. Right. So it makes you wonder what those what those doctors and that staff really saw. You know what I'm saying? Juicy little story. I see uh <laughs> I see a uh you know, original T V movie somewhere. I see an opportunity for Eastern Michigan. But you're probably right. Um, one more wide receiver group I want to talk to you guys about is Seattle Seahawks. I love Paul Richardson. Do you think he could be an outside since they uh, drafted Tyler Lockett? Well, I mean, uh, how? How do, I, how do I break this to you? Um, Tyler Lockett is basically the replacement of Paul Richardson. Does that make any sense? I mean, Lockett, Richardson do similar things. Lockett can stay on the field more. Um, right. Richardson is always not healthy. Torn ACL. Uh, he just tore it in the his, championship game. Swelling in his feet. Um, even his own Cartoon coach. fast. Yeah, he's very fast, but he's also very fragile. Fragile, as they like to say in Italian. Um, you know, he's – even his own coach talked a little bit about – at Colorado about the fact that he's the type of guy that he's going to have, you know, muscle – he's going to have some ailment all the time. Like, he always – if you look at Colorado's sort of health uh, updates and stuff, he always had some sort of muscle ache or – some sort of bruise or whatever. Um, and he's really tiny. You know, he's a really tiny wide receiver. And he got injured a lot. Is the backup? Um, maybe. try to stick him on the outside. Maybe they could try to stick him on the outside, but he has to be able to beat press. Yep. But he doesn't do a very good job of it because he's so tiny. My next guy is the Alabama wide receiver on that team. Um, he was drafted last year. Oh, you mean Norwood? Oh, Norwood, yeah. Something Norwood. Yeah. Yeah, Kevin, um, Kevin Norwood. He's, um, what's that word that they don't like in Seattle? Um, mediocre receiver? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what they call he it? is. Um, yes, that's exactly what he is. Is he a slot, or is he sort of, like, no. outside? He's, he's a, he's whatever you want him to be. Right, and he can line him up anywhere. It'd be the classic possession Z in terms of what his probably his best fit is. 
But you can line him up at the X, you can line him up in the slot, you can line him. I mean, once again, he's well-schooled, he has a good football IQ. So he can line up anywhere, as yeah, you pointed out. Yeah, line up anywhere, but he's a tough guy, but he catches the football and doesn't really do much with it. Nope. Kent's the turn of possession lead. And the mediocre with and that, that uh, well. parentheses. Um, do you think any of these guys can uh, be the top receiver over Doug Baldwin eventually? Um, surprisingly, no. And that's saying something. <laughs> 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 um, Doug Baldwin is a guy that I really, I mean, Lockett, I think, could eventually beat him out. Um, but they just, uh, Seattle, for whatever reason, they have a type of wide receiver. I just don't like the selection they're getting. I like so. two of their players, Richardson and Lockett, but... I know I you like Richardson, but I don't. I like Lockett, but Richardson, not so much. They're just an interesting group. I would probably rank them among probably one of the last wide receivers groups in the NFL. But some people are going to put Jimmy Graham in that. You know, he's not a wide receiver. He's a tight end. He just don't block. All right. Well... It'll be interesting. It'll be interesting to see what happens because Seattle hasn't necessarily been a team that uses the tight end as a huge part of their offense. So Luke Wilson, he probably gonna be on the team still. Yeah, he'll be on the team. I mean, Luke Wilson will be on the team. Uh, Zach Miller will probably. Zach Miller is. Well, they're gonna use. They're gonna use them together. I mean, they're gonna they're gonna have Wilson on one side, double tight end set. Jimmy Graham's gonna be, you know, they're gonna use him on you know run routes, and then Wilson's gonna be the blocker. And Wilson's been probably Bill. I don't know if he's agree with me or not. But he's probably been one of the better blockers in the NFL. Tight end. So Wilson's always been more of a blocking tight end. He can, I mean, he can catch the football and do that stuff, but they mainly use him as a blocker. I just haven't seen Seattle do crazy things with their tight ends, especially since they had Zach Miller for a while. And me being an Oakland fan, I used to see Zach Miller being used in a lot more creative ways than uh, Seattle ever did. Do you think Zach Miller will actually get a job? He's a free agent still. Probably at some point, maybe. He might sign with Oakland Raiders. Uh, They're especially happy with their group. I mentioned Fred Davis. People are like, no, no, we don't need that. Like, well, we Fred like Davis, is he healthy? Yeah, he's healthy. He just got back from suspension. Oh. Well, that's was the main thing with Fred Davis. Is he healthy or not? Really had an epiphany that uh, since he was away from football, uh, well, I'm... he's supposedly on the right track, but I don't know a lot about that. Uh, yeah, exactly. See. Everybody says but... that. Everybody said that. Um, all right, maybe. Josh Gordon said that. I mean, got yeah. caught again. Yeah, but he wrote a letter. So. And it wasn't. It wasn't weed. It was always alcohol. That was the crazy thing about it. He got into the program because of weed, and then all the times he felt his drug test was because of alcohol for the most part. Speaking of weed, Shane Ray can actually do it in that state. Well, he's probably happy about that. Not necessarily. You can't. 
if you're a member of the NFL, you can't do marijuana, even if it and is if legal in that state. And if you don't have that test, eventually you'll have to. But he's really happy. He's probably doing that during the off-season workout, or not workout, but during his off-season. I think Maybe. Out on it. Maybe, but I mean, if he if he does marijuana, he's gonna do marijuana. Most, I mean, there's a good percentage of players that do marijuana. It's just they don't get caught. So, and I don't know. We're in a weird period where the NFL Everybody. has rules that. No, we're in a weird period where the NFL has things that are illegal, but they're legal in certain states. So that have NFL franchises. So it's kind of weird how they're going to deal with that eventually. So because NFL is very Disney oriented sort of family friendly, you know, for stuff. Are you there, Bo? Bill. Bill. Uh, let me check something real quick. I think we put Bill to sleep. Bill. Okay, so <clears throat> I I don't know where it's built it up, but um, I guess with a closing uh, sort of situation. Oh, are you back, Bill? No, okay. Um, so where can oh, so where can uh, people find this all your work, uh, Isaiah? Uh, and what, what are stuff, and what are some stuff that you're doing, too? Uh, like I had done last year, I'm, I'm starting to go through every college uh a position I'm gonna rank the top five of them. And then I'll do like top five tandems, wide receiver duos, you know. Um maybe top ten cornerback duos, safety duos, you know, stuff like that. Um uh you can find my work at tabsports dot com. Um basically they sort of took me off the Arizona right now and just put me on college stuff, but um Find me at at Isaiah B capital F underscore NFL. Okay. Um, and then, um, yeah, Bill's probably not back. But yeah, you can obviously follow Bill at uh, at DC uh, B Carroll um, one three eight on Twitter. And he's usually, I mean, he's working on his un, under under. Yeah, all underappreciated article, obviously, as a Hall of Fame article, too. Um, 10 in, 10 out, which will eventually come out eventually. <laughs> uh, he's been working with uh, Kurt Popejoy Pope on that. Um, i also like to thank uh, Steve Morton for coming on. Uh, he kind of was on the show for a little bit in the middle of the show. Um, he doesn't really write or do anything, but he's a guy 
does watch a lot of football in the Tennessee area. And, uh, and the pricing you know, is really knowledgeable. Yeah, yeah, they're really knowledgeable. Uh, and, of course, uh, I'm, you know, so my name is James Coburn. Uh, you can follow me at, at uh, capital J, little M, little C, little O, little B, little E, little R, little N, one. And you can also find my work at allforfootballsource.com. And uh, that about wraps it up this week. So next week we'll probably get into either the MAC or the Mount West Conference. Um, I don't either one off the off to get that permission for Bill. But uh, yeah, but without everything already done, um, I'd like to thank everybody for coming on the show, and uh, we'll talk to you guys next week.
Yeah, I think from a financial standpoint, it's pretty clear you made the right choice. So tell people where you can find and follow your work, Isaiah. Uh, people want to see more of your stuff. Things like that. Where would they go?
Temple University is ranked among the top 50 public universities in the U.S. Through hands-on learning opportunities and world-class faculty, Temple students are prepared to soar in their careers. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu visit.